Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And welcome, everybody. This is the Mind Sculptors podcast. I am your host, Callahan. We've got a great show lined up for you all today, but before we get into it, I just want to take a quick second to thank you for joining us this week. If you like the episode or any of our other episodes, please make sure to like, subscribe, and comment down below. If you want access to our Discord server as well as some extra content, please make sure to head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash themindsculptors or check out the link in the description. Today we are going to be doing our Kaldheim set review, and joining me, just as we did the last time, is my good friend Cobblepot. Cobblepot, how are you doing? Doing well, how's it going? You know, not too bad. Unfortunately, I did not get any GameStop stock before the spike, but we do persevere. Um, <laughs> also joining me today uh, is the uh, the lone Canadian this week. We aren't outnumbered this time, Cobblepot, is of course Pongo. How are you doing today, Pongo? I'm doing good. I feel a little bit lonely, though, after that introduction. <laughs> it's cold. You know, I, you know, I got to tell you what. Um, so I live in Lincoln, Nebraska, as I've said before, and I feel like I live in Canada right now. We've got over 14 inches of snow over the last few days, and it is probably the most snow. Like, I think this is like a record setting snowfall in Lincoln. Um, in Cleveland, so, <laughs> they call that Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's what's been so funny for me living here is it's like, you know, the the bars we have for snowfall here, even though we're farther north than where I used to live in Ohio, is just much lower than where it is in other parts of the country. Yeah, here in Montreal, not not in the, in the country, but in that other country to the north, uh, <laughs> you know, we're doing OK uh, up until you know a couple of weeks ago it's been a pretty easy winter and then it just decided to be winter at long last <laughs> um so yeah you know now we're you know we, we certainly Doing have no shortage real. of snow yeah <laughs> yeah um so like i said there at the top of the show uh we are doing our called set review uh today now I do want to make sure that I point this out that this is not an exhaustive list of all the Caldheim cards. We're not going to be going down through every one, every color, all that jazz. We're going to go over the stuff that we saw that we thought was interesting to talk about or notable or we thought would see some play. Um, so we've got a lot of different cards, uh, but we're going to start it off uh, in. We're going to go in Wuburg order. So we're starting off here with Radine or. Reed Ain, I don't know how to say it. Redeen, God of the Worthy. I'm just gonna go with that. Um, which is a modal. Yeah, is it, is it Redain? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Re- I'm just saying Redain. Nobody's gonna That's play what I'm it. Going with. So I don't think it matters about getting it. So. <laughs> so anyway, it's a modal dual face card. Uh, the front half of it is a legendary god uh, creature. 
which has flying and vigilance. Snowlands, your opponent's control enter the battlefield tapped, and non-creature spells your opponent's cast with converted mana cost four or greater costs two more to cast, and it's a two-three. The reverse side of it is a legendary artifact called Val Valkmira Protector's Shield. It costs three colorless and a white to cast, and it reads, if a source an opponent controls would deal damage to you or a permanent you control, prevent one of that damage. Whenever you or another permanent you control becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, counter that spell or ability unless its controller pays one. Uh, so there's a couple things going on here, and this we really wanted to talk about this specifically uh, because, you know, white is supposed to be getting better, all this stuff. And so, Cobble, I know that you were saying uh, you don't think it's going to see any play, and I don't disagree with you. Uh, but what is kind of your take on this card? I feel looking at this card on its face, it 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 feels like they they started at a power level that I think would have been fine. And then in some part of the process, somebody said, nope, 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 you got to you got to turn that down a notch, you know, do something. And so, for instance, the front half where it says non-creature spells your opponents cast with converted mana cost four or greater cost two more to cast. I mean, I, I don't see why they why it needed to apply to mana costs four or greater. I mean, we we could have maybe constrained the the, the types of spells, or you know, because if 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 we if we compare this to other cards that we know, so like for instance Thalia, okay, Thalia is non-creature spells everyone casts, you know, cost one more, uh, because this is asymmetric, they're adding some more constraint to it, but I mean, if they made it symmetric and just said everybody's non-creature spells cost two more i feel like that would have been a printable effect maybe that would have been a mythic instead of a rare but um doing that and maybe just like taking the snowland part off of it i think would have been a printable card and i think it would have been a very good card and i think would qualify mm -hmm. as the the kind of strong white card that we've you know been been hearing that they have in the pipeline on the way um, I'm guessing that you know the Snowlands part. That's that's looking at other, you know, s some some problems that they're trying to address in other formats, namely, I, I believe modern, with yeah. you know snow being a big problem there. So th this is probably <laughs> strong, legacy. right? So it's it's probably maybe good enough, depending on you know what that metagame is looking like. But f for what we need in in Cedh, I mean. Saying that this doesn't hit anything that costs three and less, that's 75% of what people are running in their decks. So right. really, the only yeah. things that this is going to hit, it's going to hit Adnaz and it's going to hit Peer into the Abyss. And that's really it. And mm -hmm. most of the time, you know, when somebody is is going to resolve one of those, their margins, the, the thing that makes Turbo Nas so good right now is that our margins are so high with Dockside Extortionist and you know a whole bunch of the other you know strong acceleration that we have access to? People have a lot of times more than five mana to be able to get their Adnos off of the ground. Um, so the fact that this taxes the 
initial cast, but then doesn't tax anything afterwards. So like any of the fast mana, like let's say that they do resolve it. They, and okay, so they, they spent seven mana instead of five on their Adnaz. Okay, well, if they were able to resolve it, then okay, they're, they're going to be able to still... Anyway, most likely. Right, all, yeah. all of their, 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 their post work that they're going to you know need with your their fast mana or rituals or anything else that comes after that is is not going to be impacted in any way their free counter magic to to protect their um you know it, with the exception of force of will you know their 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 free counter magic is going to be unaffected as well so um you know fierce guardianship deflecting swaddle all of those kinds of things to be able to you know protect their offensive play it it this this doesn't it doesn't do what we need in in our metagame for it to be i think uh worthy of a slot i think what happened here was it it really seems like because it reminds me vaguely of god pharaoh statue which is a card that i've been playing a lot in golos and it really feels like they tried to because what I imagine happened was it was exactly God Pharaoh's statue at one point in its design process. No, well, right? not at not at three um, mana. That impossible. Well, I, non non creature spells. Even then, it was. It feels like it might have been that at some point. Not not asymmetrically. Yeah, not asymmetrically, but may, maybe symmetrically. But symmetrically, I think it's printable. Mm-hmm. Again, I, super but strong. I but guess I think it's printable. I guess what I'm getting at is. It feels like they definitely started at somewhere in that ballpark, maybe a different maybe a different casting cost. Maybe it was a four or something like that. You know, I know they change those things around very frequently. Um, But what I'm getting at here is it feels like they kind of started there and then kind of inched it back because it feels very um, reminiscent of that card in my mind. Um, and you know, it, it's something that I would certainly consider in Golos as it certainly, it, it does a lot. It ticks a lot of the marks that we want to be doing in that deck to begin with for the, the prison list. Um, but I, I think overall, I, and you guys are going to hate me in this episode because I'm going to talk about Lavinia a fair bit because we did get some new cards, but, um, even in Lavinia, like things like this, like we don't want to be playing these sorts of effects, um, and I, do, I can't imagine that uh, Brago or Grand Arbiter would even really be interested in this. I can't. Maybe Heliod wants to play this. That's about the only thing I can really think of where it's it's such a low density. Of... I, can't see, I can't even see Heliod running this card. So, yeah. So, yeah, there's Heli- Heliod, Heliod. And potentially Sisse, which are like maybe the two places where you would consider it. Sisse because it's legendary, um, and and in this case I could we could be talking about either Sisse, um, and then Hilliard because it's model white, and you know you're kind of just looking for a certain density of really impactful effects for you know your certain bad right. matchups. Um, I think that I, I I know that you guys are evaluating this card as is, but I think it's actually really important to imagine how different this card would be. Uh, if it, you know it was either printed with slightly different text or in the context of different formats as well um, mm-hmm. so this is a card where you know we may look at it and we we see that four and we're like man that's very close to the mark if this was like three or greater 
this would be, I think, a bonkers powerful card. Um, and I think that it would be potentially a multi-format staple. Um, and it would, I think it would be a staple in CEDH because at that point it hits all the wheel effects. Um, you know, it hits even things like the free counter magic that we've gotten recently, deflecting SWAT and Fierce Guardianship, making them right. no and longer force free. Force of negation. Force of negation. It hits, um, you know, Jessica's Will and Praetor's Grasp and stuff like that. Yawgmoth's Will, um, you know, Ristic Study and Necropotence, like the list goes on. Um, so this is clearly a very car- hard card to balance because at three, bonkers. At four, kind of underwhelming, as you guys have said. But beyond that, at three, I think that this would also be like probably a very legacy playable card because a lot of the mono white decks could play this as a way to essentially say you can no longer play your Okos. And as a flying vigilant two, three, you know, with that backside uh, being an artifact that also potentially has some some potential use and also lets you play multiples of this card with uh, like less consequence. Um, and like also it kind of just hates on snow with its other ability anyway. Like this card would be the card that legacy players are clamoring for. So man, if this had been printed as a tax of three or like on cards that cost three or more, this would be instantly it, I think this would shape shake the metagame just with that like one little tweak. Uh, and I, I tend to agree that at four, it's it's going to likely be a little too narrow because only hitting the gnaws, only hitting the peer into the abyss and stuff like that. You know, I while I agree, I agree with you, Cobble, that like if they get to cast their gnaws, then they're going to win regardless of this card being in play. What this reads to me as is, you know, it's kind of like they need to spend likely an extra turn, potentially an extra two turns before they can get to that effect. And I think that's why I may be a little bit higher on the card than both of you have been uh, in discussing it, because I do think that for a deck like Heliod, uh, you you might just want a certain critical mass of effects that basically say, you know, this is in play, this is buying me an extra turn, and in that next turn, I'm going to play another effect. Um, and then, you know, while you're scrambling to deal with that one, I'm going to play another effect, right? And you're kind mm-hmm. of just like slowly setting the trap right you're just playing piece after piece after piece um you know will will it see play like maybe not because i can easily imagine a card like this getting kind of power crept out of that deck anyway um it certainly on the front side where you know while, while it's very close to insanely powerful um impactful as is uh it it still maybe doesn't provide as much as you would like it to toward that plan in particular right i i I, looking at the the three mana cost slot you know and and seeing that the things that that we do see that have play that have let's say a vaguely similar effect you know trinosphere um rule of law you know these are these are cards that are in the same slot that have a night and day difference in their impact. Now, those are symmetric. They're not asymmetric. So, I mean, we have to account for that. But still, those cards are so much stronger in their impact on the game that, I mean, yes, we just got the, you know, Archon, Archon of Ameria just this past year. So, I mean, I'm I'm not complaining. It's just I, I, I see this and I feel like, oh, man, they... They they had something here, and 
somewhere down the line, they lost it. I, I do think, you know, to Callahan's point, that there might have been a world where in development this card may have at one point said mana cost three or greater. Um, yeah. Because that feels like a card that you have printed to attack a very particular metagame um, and to like really push mono white strategies very, very far and very powerfully. And, and it, the issue is that it wouldn't necessarily even push just mono white strategies. You know, even at asymmetrically at three or more, costing, let's say, one more instead of two more, this card is still bonkers good, I think, because one, it's asymmetrical. But two, you know, you look at the context where it would see play, you know, if you look at, you know, CEDH, we've already touched upon those. Legacy, again, you know, you're hitting things like Oko, you're hitting things like Doomsday, um, you're hitting people's forces, <laughs> force of wills, um, like, it, it just kind of ends up being, I would say, a pretty efficiently costed body, you know, two, three flying vigilance is decent, Um you know, the Snowlands part is not irrelevant in that metagame whatsoever. And then, you know, three for non-creature spells is kind of like where people start to max out, kind of. Other than, like, you know, if we're talking about, like, the context of people playing Ad Nauseam and, and people playing, um, um, you know, Peer into the Abyss and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, for, for the most part... Like, things don't really go much beyond that. So it's not hitting that many things at four or greater, unfortunately. It's a card that is, like, so close to being, like I said, unbelievably good. And because of that one different number, like, is just, like, almost unplayable. Like, right. it's crazy how, how much of a difference one can make. Right. Well, and, uh, you know, not to, you know, end the conversation there, but I, 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 I do hate, I, 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 this card frustrates me, but I also will probably try it in Golo's prison, um, just because the backside of it is certainly castable, especially off of a shop. And it's not in, uh, in like, it's not a bad effect and it certainly goes in line with something the deck would want to be playing uh you know anyway um so what it would go in over i don't know so anybody who's paying attention to that deck list stay tuned i might be doing something with that uh but certainly something that i will be playing in another deck or deck that i play uh that people are very familiar with uh is search for glory um and this is a snow sorcery uh that costs two colorless and a white and it reads, search your library for a snow permanent card, a legendary card, or a saga card. Reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. You gain one life for each snow mana spent to cast the spell. Um, so when Phoenix and I saw this, we immediately went, well, this is great because this tutors uh, Urza, this tutors Teferi, this tutors uh, Jace. Like, this tutors a lot of the things that we want to kind of close the game out. Um, in but for the people, yeah, like, it's very good in that deck. Um, but for people who are not just looking at this card and evaluating on the axis of a blue-white deck, right, um, where does this really sit, Pongo, um, as a card, and how do you feel about it? So, 
I, I love talking about white cards as, you know, probably my sort of impassioned <laughs> discourse from before <laughs> maybe let on. Um, I think that this is actually a pretty exciting card, despite the fact that I don't actually think it's uh, quite there for CEDH. Um, you know, a little bit like the last card, in fact. Um, so this card, notably in CEDH in particular, is probably finding legendary cards, I would say, nine times out of ten. And maybe we'll occasionally find, I don't know, like a Snow Basic Land, but like that's not particularly good. Three mana to find right. a, a Basic Land to hand. But, you know, if you're in a low color white deck, that's where you're maybe going to consider running this card. Uh, because, you know, white historically, one of its weaknesses has been limited access to tutors. Uh, and this is kind of an exciting card because it shows that Wizards is sort of still willing to address problems like that when historically you know in the past they've talked about how they don't really like printing new tutor effects that that much um you know mostly because or not mostly but for for a big part of that reason being that they're trying to avoid too much shuffling in standard um so you know that's particularly one reason for example why they're hesitant to reprint fetch lands in standard because they don't want people shuffling all the time um so, you know, something like Search for Glory, you know, if this was to see a lot of play in Standard, which I don't expect that it's necessarily going to, although maybe it does if, like, Sagas are particularly good, or if there's, like, some kind of, you know, like, legendary card combo, um, or, you know, maybe we get more Snow Permanents that, that push a combo deck of some kind. Um, but, like, this card is clearly, I think, printed for EDH, to address a problem in white um and while i think it's a little bit narrow and inefficient for cedh i could see it in you know a few decks like you know i i considered it for a second in like derevi for example where you know that deck plays a lot of legendary cards notably guy's right. cradle that it wants pretty much every game uh notably you know a meal that it obviously needs to win with um so, you know, that's sort of like one place where, you know, you're playing a deck that has kind of few tutors. The issue being that, like, that deck's in Bant, and Bant can tutor for lands and creatures already. So, like, I don't think you need to go as far as playing this card. But, like, you know, if that deck didn't have green, for example, then I would be much more interested in this. You know, if that, yeah. if that deck was missing one of its colors, you know, blue... You know, obviously it can't be missing white, but if it was missing either green or blue, then I might be more interested in this card. Yeah. Well, and I mean, and that's that's kind of how I feel about it, is especially evaluating it for a deck like Lavinia, is it, 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 does, it just checks so many of the boxes. Because one of the, the downfalls of the list and of the deck is just not access to tutors. And now with, like some new cards that were printed, some of the new gods, there adds some new targets. So there's that, there's Urza, JTMS, Karn, J or Teferi. Um, I mean, those are really the big ones. Um, actually, it also gets Inventor's Fair. And one thing that I don't think enough people really think about is also gets Tabernacle, mm -hmm. uh, which is really good. Um, and so it, it, it checks a lot of the boxes in that list specifically um and you know like i said i i know i'm 
said at the top of the show that I am going to talk a lot about Lavinia in this, but that's because we got some some new interesting things for that deck. Um, and I'm not going to I'm, I'm really I'm trying not to dominate the conversation <laughs> with it with Lavinia. Uh, but it, it's. Yeah, but it, it, it's it's something okay. that Lavinia I do is think never is going to dominate anything. To be fair, yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, but but I do think that it is worth uh, worth talking about uh, because it is something that I think specifically like blue white um, or those lower color white lists that are I, I I can't imagine this being played in any like three color white list, um, but any two color white list uh, I can certainly see a reason to to play it for sure. Yeah, I I think that the most exciting part of this card is, I, well, I already touched upon what I think the most exciting part of this card is, but one thing that I want this to kind of be a signal of is white moving into the space where it has a thing that it can tutor for efficiently. And I right. think we've seen examples of it in the past, and I think that this is potentially, you know, hinting at it further moving into the space, and that's tutoring for legendary cards. And we have examples of that in the past, you know, like Green White Sisse, for example, could tutor for legendary cards. You know, this tutors for legendary cards. Um, White has been able to tutor for Planeswalkers. But in addition, you know, we we have seen some creatures, I think, that when they ETB, you search for legendary cards or legendary creatures. Um, One one that I would would bring up that I think is a card that a lot of people overlooked was from... Uh, Hour of Devastation is Juro with open eyes, which ETBs, and you search right. your library for a Planeswalker. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think white needs to have a niche for a thing that it can tutor for, and legendary cards feel like such a like a good fit for that. And so if we could get something like a Time of Need color shifted into white, but like that doesn't say creatures only, you know, it's basically like one Sisse activation for one and a white man that would go so far i think like towards that would making be white yeah it would be and it would yeah. be so good like i would play that into revy and get guy's cradle like a hundred like all the time every day um yeah and like you know beyond that it also gives wizards a direction that they can go toward printing powerful new effects in white and making white more consistently able to access them which is, you know, if you print more hate bear type effects on legendary creatures, one, they're more costly to play in like standard and like 60 card decks because, you know, you, you, can't, you, you can't play multiple. Legendary role. Yeah. Right. Um, but two, you, you, you've also addressed white being able to get them by first printing cards that tutor for legendary cards. So, you know, we need more Lavinias and Thalias and stuff like that in white. And we need effects that tutor for legendary cards in white. And I think that, you know, all of this feels very, very flavorful and very in pie for white. Um, Mm -hmm. So, like, I don't know. Wizards, please. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. I I would love it. Um, You know, uh, Cobble, I wasn't sure uh, before we move on. What are your thoughts on this? I, I think that all I really have to say is... When we look at Grim Tutor, which is a universal any card you want to hand at sorcery mm-hmm. speed, it's it sees zero play in the metagame. Nobody plays it because it's not sufficiently efficient to see play, quote unquote. And we see cards that are like this in white. 
I, I think this kind of paints the picture of the disparity between white and the other colors where a card that nobody even considers playing is still better than what we get excited about for white. It's like, Oh, this is, this is, this is something that I I could see playing and this is something that I could get excited about. And yet it's not as good as something that we won't even play in other colors. It, yeah, but I mean, it's disheartening to me. That's that's the issue with like old card card design philosophy too, right? Like I I would say that something like Grim Tutor, you know, while you can print it reprint it into standard and it's fine, it's not like the type of card that they necessarily want to be printing more of. Sure. Mhm. Yeah. And yet it's still and, better than this card. <laughs> yeah, yet it's still better than this card. So that's that's yeah. really I think you guys you you said everything else really well and I don't think we need to to dwell here. I think we can probably move on to things that we'll see play in CEDH. I yeah. think that's kind of it. Yeah. Well, moving on to uh another piece that is 100% going into Lavinia. Phoenix has been playtesting this card a lot and really likes it is Cosima, God of the Voyage. Uh, this is a two colorless and a blue legendary creature god that's a 2-4, and it is an MDFC as well. Uh, the front face of it says, at the beginning of your upkeep, you may exile Cosima. If you do, it gains whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control. If Cosima is exiled, you may put a voyage counter on it. If you don't return Cosima to the battlefield with X plus one plus one counters on it and draw X cards where X is the number of voyage counters on it. The backside is a legendary artifact vehicle that costs uh, one colorless and a blue. It is a three three with crew one and it reads whenever a vehicle you control deals combat damage to a player that player exiles that many cards from the top of their library you may play land cards from among those cards for as long as they remain exiled um so there's a lot going on here and like i said that this is something that uh phoenix has been play testing a lot in um in uh, Lavinia and has been really liking it. It's a card draw engine. It does a lot for the deck. Um, but F- Cobblepot, when we look at this card, so again, in decks that people actually play um, <laughs> outside of me and my, my group and discord, um, what is this card? How good is it? And what decks will be looking to play it? If any. So this card looks when, when people first, and I mean, when I first saw it, uh, the first card that I compared it to was Tachiova, where, you know, Tachiova is five mana, and every time you have an, a land enter the battlefield, you draw a card and gain a life. In this case, this is two mana cheaper, but um, you don't get to start triggering your you know your draws off of lands until you've actually had it for a cycle because it you know has to get exiled during your upkeep and then uh, it it's different because it is um it's chunky rather than chatty and what i mean by that is (laughs) um where you 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 kind of have to save up all of the you know your your aggregated draw and decide when you actually want to draw those cards. So with a card like Tachiova, 
you put a fetch land into play, you draw a card. And then you get kind of immediate feedback of, well, all right, now what do I want to do from here? Okay, here, let me crack that fetch, get another land into play, draw another card, okay. And you're, you're seeing kind of a stream of cards as lands are coming into play. So you, you don't have to run any specific type of effect to be able to enjoy the benefit of that effect. Here with Cosima, you, kind of, you, you play it, you have to wait a turn cycle, exile it, and then, well, now you play that fetch land. Okay, well, now you have a choice of do I want to save up a draw or do I want to cash it in, basically? And you're not getting kind of that incremental stream of feedback of, okay, let's, let's see where I want to take the game plan with where I am right now. So it, what it's doing is you're, you're not getting as much information as you are with something that's actually drawing you cards with every single land drop. So what that's going to push you towards is to running effects that make it such that you're going to be much more willing to just cash out. So like scape shift kind of effects or, you know, splendid reclamation where you've got a whole bunch of, you know, maybe you've got a, you know, 10 car- 10 lands that are in your graveyard and then you put 10 lands into play and you'd be like, yeah, I'm good. I'm going to draw 10. Um, that's the, the, the pattern of play that I think that this card is going to engender. And I don't know, you know, outside of decks like Tachiova, um, where this type of effect is, is, is really needed. Um, just because, it's it's not giving you that incremental information as you go along. So you're you're going to be wanting to play scape shift style cards to get the most out of it. I I'm I'm not convinced it's it's going to create any new decks or new archetypes. And outside of Tachiova, I don't I don't know where I would be excited to play this card. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. Um you know, what do you think? Pongo, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I think I could get a little bit more behind this card if the pattern with any land, or or if the way it was worded is that like when you play a land, you both get to put a voyage counter on it and then like choose to bring it back. But because you can't, it means that like you can't just play this on three, immediately exile it on your next turn, play a fetch land crack the fetch land, get two voyage counters, and, like, immediately draw two. You only get the option to draw one in that case. Um, Beyond that, I think that, like, for me, another kind of... I I think this is, like, kind of, like, a more nuanced take, but, like, one that certainly feels like it's something that people need to be considering these days is the play pattern with fetch lands, I feel, has changed. Um, I feel like in the past you could get away with holding on to fetch lands a little bit longer. Um, and in some pods, you would certainly play out your fetch lands more aggressively, notably if you're playing against like white hate bear style decks and you're, if you're worried about Aven Mind Sensor. But now everybody, or a lot of people, are playing Opposition Agent. Um, and so I feel like there's just like a lot more pressure to be playing out your fetch lands early and not holding on to them for a card like this, uh, which certainly also hurts um, this card's effectiveness uh, as kind of like a, a longer game sort of value engine. Um, so 
I think Cobble pretty much said, you know, anything else that I would want to add um, beyond that. Um, I, I don't know that I'm ever going to play this, I think, like in any deck, just because I feel like, you know, it, it's got too much of that sort of like incremental value issue um, where, you know, like you're not necessarily getting the gas you need to like input um, more cards into this to eventually acquire more gas later. Uh, you know, kind of like Cobble's point, but in addition, you know, I think that it's kind of like the anti-pattern for for how the format is kind of playing out these days. Mm-hmm. No, I mean that makes sense. Um, I know that what Phoenix has told me uh, from you know playtesting it has been that it does a lot of work, uh, specifically in. Uh, what's the smoothing out draws or smoothing out uh, mulligans uh, in that deck. So I'm interested to see how it is. I haven't got to a, a chance to sit down and play test with it quite yet. Um, he's been ranting and raving about how great it is. Uh, so we'll see. Um, you know, I don't really have a whole lot of opinions on it. I kind of agree with you. However, I do think that the backside of it is uh, something that is very good and is going a little bit overlooked. Uh, being a crew one is very strong, um, as well as being a three three. Um, and the fact that it effectively makes sure that you you're exiling cards from the top of your opponent's library one, uh, but you're also getting the opportunity to potentially f- fix your mana as well. Uh, so there's a lot of things that I like here with this card. I just, I, I don't know, like Cobble was saying, I'm not entirely sure what decks you want to play it in. Uh, but I, I certainly know that, you know, in decks that I'm going to be playing, as that this is certainly something that I'm looking into. Uh, moving on to a card that is, in my opinion, the color-shifted ver- version of Zeta Hedron Grinder mm-hmm. is uh, Orvar the All Form. It is a legendary creature shapeshifter. That's a 3-3. It uh, costs three colorless mana and a blue. It's a changeling. Uh, and it says whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, if it targets one or more other permanents you control create a token that's a copy of one of those permanents. Whenever a spell or an ability an opponent controls causes you to discard this card, create a token that's a copy of target permanent. Um, so, like I said, I think this reminds me, it's very uh, reminiscent of the card Zeta Hedron Grinder for uh, Battle for Zendikar. Uh, but... So, when we're, we're talking about this card, Pongo, there's a, there's a person in our listening audience uh, who's a friend of ours uh ken from stacked edh <laughs> who is really gonna like this Bob is coming yeah uh so pongo what what is this doing and what do you think this is going to see play in and all of that um so i mean i i have to imagine that ken is planning on playing this in Quark. <laughs> um I, I i can immediately see the synergy right because you've got sakashima and you can copy sakashima um ignoring the legend rule to make more Krarks, and then you've kind of just got that engine going and you know that sounds like right. a lot of fun um and you know i'm i'm on board with that because it sounds wild and wacky 
And while it may not necessarily be the most consistent thing in the world to be doing, you know, sometimes you've got to just be playing a certain density of these effects to, you know, consistently be be doing that thing that you think is fun, right? It's, it's you know, kind of the self-expression aspect of, of EDH. Um, but, uh, you know, where I think that this card is potentially, like, actually going to see play and, and will be really compelling is at the helm of its own deck. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously with this card, you can be playing, you know, your, your, your normal suite of bounce spells and stuff like that. Um, and you get, like, just immediate value if you're bouncing your own stuff and replaying it. Um, you know, that's fine. And, and you're playing all those bounce spells anyway. So it's nice to have something that will let you like use them sort of proactively as well as reactively. So that's cool. But, uh, you know, where this probably is going to shine is kind of like as a high tide deck where mm-hmm. you're playing like kind of all these twiddle effects um, because they're going to clone a permanent and you're going to get to untap a land. Um, and, you know, if you have high tide active, then, you know, you're untapping an island, which now taps for two and you've just, you know, made another island, and that island taps for two. So, you know, you can quickly see how that starts to get a little bit crazy. Um, but, you know, you're, you're going to run out of cards, so you need a way to draw cards. Uh, and, and how does this deck kind of address that? Well, it turns out that this Orvar uh, has an absurd synergy with a card that kind of like, you know, we ignored up until now, and, you know, for good reason, Coveted Jewel, um, which is a card that... When it enters, it's a six mana mana rock, and it taps for three mana, I think, of any one color, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but when it enters play, you draw three cards. So, you know, why aren't we playing this card? Because it has a downside, which is if an opponent attacks you, they gain control of it, untap it, and draw three cards. So that's pretty disastrous, you know, if everyone starts, like, attacking each other to Ancestral Recall and gain three mana, like... You don't want to be doing that in CEDH because, like, something is going to go horribly wrong invariably. But in this deck, you don't have to worry about that. Why? Because you're going to win the turn that you play the Coveted Jewel. Um, because what you're going to do is you're just going to make sure that you have a few copy effects. You're going to... Or, or, or target effects. Um, you know, twiddle effects, stuff like that. You're going to twiddle your, your, your jewel uh, to untap it. And that's netting you mana. And then you're making another jewel and you're drawing three cards, and then you're repeating this process, and there you go. You've got your mana engine and your draw engine completely sorted out in one card. And it's an artifact. And you're in blue. And and what can blue tutor for? It can tutor for artifacts. You know what else blue can tutor for? Lands. I knew you were gonna... You thought I was gonna say instants and sorceries. Yes. And, you know, that's pretty strong, because we can go get high tide. But fetch lands can also tutor for your mystic sanctuary. And... Mystic Sanctuary is also pretty powerful when you get to copy it a bunch of times and, <laughs> you know, just keep rebuying your Twiddle effects or, you know, your High Tides or, you know, whatever you need, your, your Bounce Spells, your Flicker effects, um, and just draw more cards. So I think Orvar is actually, as far as Mono Blue Commanders go, super exciting, potentially super powerful I'm I'm yeah. pretty hyped for this card and and for this deck because I think it's really neat. I know Mike Sad from playing with Power uh, has been brewing this deck a lot, and uh, he he shared his list on Twitter and it it looked really fun. 
Um, one of the things I thought was odd that was in it, and I didn't think about it until he pointed it out, was it was running Hydroblast, the yep. blue version of Pyroblast. And I was like, what the hell is this doing in here? And he goes, because you can target anything with it. It just doesn't return it to your hand, but it makes a copy of it. And I was like, huh. Yeah, <laughs> I or, guess or that does hit, do that. Or you can hit Dockside <laughs> slash like Underworld Breach, right? Like, so yeah. It does have some reactive potential. Um, Deflecting SWAT. Deflecting SWAT, yeah. you know, red blasts, pyroblasts, you know, you're in mono blue, so like all of your spells get hit by those cards. So I think right. Hydroblast looks a lot better when in that context. Um Yeah, I was very confused by it first, then he explained it and I was like, Huh. I yeah. guess that is a thing that you can do. That's kinda cool. <laughs> this this deck also has like one of the strangest but like absurdly powerful synergies. With like a really out there card, which is Aquatect's Will, which is a tribal, it's a merfolk tribal sorcery oh, yeah. that puts a flood counter on target land. That land becomes an island in addition to its other types for as long as it has a flood counter on it. And if you control merfolk, you draw a card. Orivar is a changeling, so he's a merfolk. So you <laughs> always control a merfolk. So for one blue, you're getting an extra land. Essentially, you're getting like a rampant growth, except that it's strictly better because the land enters play ta- uh, untapped and you're drawing a card, which is like that's so <laughs> strong. <laughs> yeah. Like, have we seen incidents before this um, outside of like Kiki Jiki uh, where you could make token copies of lands? I'm not I'm not recalling any off the top of my head this is the first case where it's really easy to make token copies of lands yeah off the top of my head i i can only think of like you know making copies of dryad arbor as being like the really easy way to do that but um you know while i'm sure you can make token copies of lands like by turning them into artifacts and then like making copies of those artifacts like I, i can't think of any off the top of my head right yeah Okay, I'm going to pause real quick. Don't stop recording. I'm just going to pause. I need to go to the bathroom really bad. So I will be right back. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, Orvar is cool. (laughs) Yeah, it's... I I hadn't considered the twiddle effects. Oh, that's, that's the way to build him, like... Twiddle an island and then get an extra island out of that and untap the island and... Yeah. Yeah, the problem is card draw. But you're I was going to say, right? besides besides coveted jewel, what are your big card draw kind of engines you're hoping uh, for? I mean, you're if you're making copies of lands and ramping that way, and you're playing, you know, all the fast mana and artifacts and stuff like that, you're still like playing things like dig through time and you know your Ristic study and your Mystic Remoras, and probably you're you're also playing stuff like uh, Archaeomancer to buy back things and stuff like that. Uh, anything that like targets and cantrips, which I'm sure is like some amount of cards you're probably playing that um what's the win con i mean i think you're like essentially drawing your deck and probably making infinite mana and like blue sun xena thing people if i had to guess it's like the mono blue high tide plan okay because you know that also is one of your big outlets for drawing a bunch of cards so pretty right, seamless right. <clears throat> Okay, sorry about that. I just drank a bunch you, of liquid before we started, so... Are you much improved? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, all right. 
Well, moving on to the next card in the list uh, is another blue card, Mystic Reflection. Now, this is an interesting one. It's a one colorless and a blue instant uh, that does have foretell for one blue uh, is its foretell cost. And you can choose target non-legendary creature. The next time one or more creatures or planeswalkers enter the battlefield this turn, they enter as copies of the chosen creature. Uh, so Cobblepot, uh, this is another cart toy, is it not? I mean, yes, but I, I wouldn't limit it just to Kark. So, I mean, Kark is, I mean, I, I, I think that with the, 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 the type of design that Wizards is doing of late with its blue and red cards, I think we're just finding a lot of things that happen to fit easily into what Kark is doing. Mm-hmm. This card is, is, is certainly no exception to that. Um, but I, I think that it's... Given the metagame that we have in CEDH, it, it's got a lot of application, both in an offensive and in a defensive context. What I mean by that is you can defensively take a threatening creature that's on the stack, and you know if, if there are less threatening type of of uh, creatures already in play like dorks mainly but you know maybe even other commanders um or it can't be a commander because it has to be a non-legendary creature right uh, when someone's got a thassa's oracle on the stack or a dockside extortionist or a gilded drake you know just being able to have a measure by which you can say that well here's your lanawar elves um that is a it's it's strong because it, it's not just countering the creature. So there's a lot of strategies that are looking to either make you know copies of their creatures with you know phantasmal image or bouncing their creatures or you know replaying their creatures out of the graveyard uh, through you know reanimation effects or you know using underworld breach that kind of thing. Um, this what it's doing is it's letting the creature resolve and it's telling the creature that it's going to be something else. So mm-hmm. when someone has, you know, their, their Oracle, which, you know, might be their only win con in their deck, you know, orphaning it on board as a Llanowar elves kind of what, what that does is it's a bigger setback than just countering that spell. Now they have to find some way to get it back into their hand or get it into their graveyard, spend that, you know, that card to do that and then find whatever means they need to either, you know, um, get it back into play or, you know, you know, switch gears depending on what the board state looks like at that particular case. So it's. It's a, a clever defensive tool, but it's also an offensive tool where in the same way we can take an existing dockside, maybe somebody else has resolved one, and now we cast our Landwar Elves and we can have our Landwar Elves come into play as somebody else, as, as another dockside because there's already one in play. Or as a Gilded Drake, you know, you know depending on the, the texture of the board, this is one of those cards that I, I like it personally just because it's not a 
you know, a, a card that's going to have very rote patterns associated with it. You know, people play their dock sides. It's very straightforward what they're going to do with their dock side. People have their Thassa's oracles. It's very straightforward what they're going to do with it. With this, the the value of the card is going to basically match whatever the texture of the board state is. So it will reward kind of emergent uh, assessment of the types of value that you can you can get from the card. I like cards that are like that just because um, it when you are playing in a way that is emergent, then it's going to be more difficult for opponents to anticipate what it is that you're going to do, and it creates more interesting interplay. So I, I don't know if this will become a staple. I mean, like I said, it it could you know very well just take the slot that is being occupied by a counter spell in whatever deck. Um, people are already you know devoting slots to things like snap or unsub to be able to reuse their dock sides and whatever. And this ostensibly allows you to to do that you know at a cheaper rate if you're running dorks or something. So um, right. I, I think that it can see play and um, I'm excited to try it in a couple of different contexts. Yeah. Um, I'm really interested to see uh, what people do with it. I've had a couple opportunities to uh, play around with it, uh, specifically within the context of um, the Golos um, prison list. Uh, but, you know, haven't really got to see it in action quite yet. So I'm really interested to see uh, what it's going to do. But uh, now as we move kind of on into the black portion of the evening, uh, we're looking at Turgrid, God of Fright, uh, which is another MDFC card. There's a lot of those in the set. Uh, it is a legendary creature god that costs three colorless in two black. It has menace. And whenever an opponent sacrifices a non-token permanent or discards a permanent card, you may put that card from a graveyard onto the battlefield underneath your control. The backside of it is a legendary artifact called Turgrid's Lantern that costs three colorless and a black. It has the ability to tap and target player loses three life unless they sacrifice a non-land permanent or discard a card. And it also has the ability uh, that is three colorless and a black to untap Turgrid's Lantern. Um, so the design space here is clearly designed around having multiples of this in your deck uh, for, you know, 60 card formats where you can play one side of it and then play the other side and use it kind of as an engine. Uh, I think a deck that will probably end 60 cards specifically is like these Jund Sacrifice decks. Um, in standard and in historic will very, very be happy to see a card like this as an engine to kind of generate value. But as far as CEDH goes, Pongo, what are we really seeing here with this card? Yeah, I, I think in a CEDH context, that backside is probably not going to be incredibly relevant. Um, mm -hmm. I wouldn't say completely irrelevant, especially, you know, if somebody manages to find a way in mono black to to make infinite mana pretty easily and then you know then you can use this as an outlet um assuming it's not in play or assuming you have some way to sacrifice and put it back into the command zone so you can recast it as an artifact but i digress um you know <laughs> the the card the side of this card that's going to see the most play is certainly the creature side of the card um and 
it's actually pretty bonkers as a card. Um, um, yeah, it, it just, really is. It turns out that there's a lot of cards in CEDH that like sacrifice things. Um, and there's a lot of them that currently see a lot of play. Um, <laughs> you know, so obviously every deck is playing, you know, as many fetch lands as they can afford to for the most part. Maybe, maybe one less than they possibly can. Um, but, you know, in addition, a lot of a lot of decks are playing things like Calling the Weak and Infernal Plunge these days. Um, you know, decks are also playing Diabolic Intent. You know, people are sacrificing things left, right, and center. You know, people are sacrificing creatures. Um, you know, creatures that they steal to their Tevesh Zot, for example, with Gilded Drake. Um, or, you know, if, if, if they manage to, you know, get something that's not a token in play that they want to sacrifice, they're you know they're sacrificing that people are sacrificing things to their core volts. you know it, it, it's just incredibly powerful and relevant to be putting things into the graveyard um and you know potentially replaying them from there or just extracting some value from sacrificing them you know if we look at something like lion's eye diamond that's probably <laughs> the most powerful thing that people are doing that right. with and if you can just snatch the lion's eye diamond out from under somebody when they're doing that on a you know an underworld breach turn then that's exceptionally powerful. So, you know, this has... They're also discarding their hand when they do that, too. Oh, yes. Right. <laughs> so they're not going to do that with Turgrid in play, <laughs> essentially. Um, so Turgrid is, you know, both potentially a powerful value engine uh, as well as an incredibly disruptive card. Um, you know, some some things people are going to be willing to sacrifice into Turgrid. You know, I don't know that it would ever be correct if you're making a run for it you know you're trying to win um or you're trying to advance your board state to like not you know use your calling the weak or your you know sacrifice your fetch lands and stuff like that with turgor in play so you know you might get some value there but you're also going to be like hating on people's like i said lion's eye diamond loops because you just can't try to do that into them you know you can't play wheel fortune really into this depending on like what people's hands look like because if somebody has like you know, six, seven cards in hand, that could be a disaster for you. Um, but, you know, notably, if you're, if you have Turgrid in play, then you're going to do, you're going to do all of the above. Um, yes, absolutely. You're, yeah, you're going to be playing your Wheel of Fortune and your Windfall if you can, because you want your opponents to be discarding cards and sacrificing cards. So I, I do think that, you know, the text that's on this card is pretty nutty. You know, five mana is a lot, unfortunately. And that's probably the thing that keeps us from seeing like wide widespread play um because you just can't really justify a five mana you know disruptive slash value card in a lot of contexts um that being said i do know some people are very interested in trying this alongside uh sire of insanity and i think that's pretty cool (laughs) um i think it's pretty hot you know when you can um, you know, you're, you're already trying to play a more disruptive than his typical style of game plan, um, you know, because you are looking to cast this six drop, right? So if you're tr- looking to cast a six drop in a lot of games, then, you know, what's a five drop? Um, so you can play this both with the Sire of Insanity already in play or before the Sire comes down, and that's totally fine. Um, you know, one of the awkward things with Sire of Insanity historically has been you know, like, casting wheels into it because, like, maybe you refill your hand, but, like, if you don't assemble a win 
there, then you're discarding your hand immediately afterward. So, you know, some of those big draw effects are pretty rough. And, and beyond that, you might give your opponent an out to the sire with those big draw effects. If Turgrid is in play, you know, you still run into some of those issues. But if that doesn't happen, oh boy. Oh, <laughs> oh boy. If that doesn't happen, um, you've essentially turned Wheel of Fortune into like, you know, close to a draw 21 for yourself. Um, obviously, it's not that. But like, you know, you, you can imagine that even the floor of that is probably pretty high in a lot Just of Just imagine cases. if you do that and somebody has a uh, dockside in their yeah. hand. Oh, baby. Right. I mean, at minimum, there's going to be lands, most likely, in those 21 right. cards, right? So you're going to get stuff. Um, the question is whether or not you get, you know, like six. You Whether or not you ramp six mana or you ramp 20 mana. Um, you know, that's there's definitely a lot of variance potential there but i think that the floor is sufficiently high that that it's pretty exciting and and it, and it sounds fun and it sounds powerful um so i could i could see it happening in cedh uh i just don't think it's going to be sort of like a format staple or anything like that yeah this feels really it, good oh sorry go ahead Kyle. i i was just going to throw something on there saying that you know, it, it, it looks like it, it fits well into kind of these, you know, uh, wheel thief kind of decks, you know, things that are already wanting to capitalize on things like Notion Thief, Hull Breacher, and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Um, it, it's it's not as good as those existing things. It, it's, it's, it, it seems, it feels similar to me kind of like to uh, Smothering Tithe, where, you know, you're going you're gonna to be getting value off of your wheels, but it's not going to be as much value as you get off your wheels the 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 thing that i i worry about is playing this card um especially if you're in a deck that is kind of like devoted to playing this card um and you go up against a stacks deck Mm -hmm. and you do a wheel and then all of a sudden there's like a rule of law and a thorn of amethyst and you know all of a sudden you have all of these it is a to be fair yeah Oh, is it? Okay. Well, yeah. then never mind then. Okay. I, I was <laughs> I was thinking that all of those things just landed on the battlefield and no. be screwed. It, it does feel so. like that's how it should be printed, kind of. Right. But but no, it's not. Okay. Well, in that case, then I'm, I, I'd be happy to, to run this all the time. Um, I think at five mana, but, you know, it, it is competing with the better wheel synergy effects like you, you mentioned. Um, right. Right. It, yeah. It's not, it, in my opinion, even even off of a wheel. Like, com- if you couple this with a wheel, it's still not as good as Smothering Tithe or Notion Thief. Um, just because both of those are good without a wheel, right? And even even with a wheel, this what it, it's it's going to let your opponents all get their hands, and it's going to get you like maybe a land from each player, and then like maybe some rocks you know possibly a dockside or something like that but i'm gonna make this really easy for everybody though here's the number one reason why you should not play this card it's a terrible card you should never play it this card is Uh going to be a nightmare to resolve over webcam (laughs) yeah that's not gonna be fun you know the other reason and and the thing i thought you were going to say is that theoretically this could break lavinia locks if people just discard to hand size Oh, I just I just blew Callahan's mind. Not necessarily. <laughs> I mean, they could put stuff into play, but like it's an opponent, right? 
So your opponents have to collude, and then they're kind of handing the game to one person. No, 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 no. You, you know, you just collude to break the lock. Mm. Because it's a may, know, right? Like, like, and, right. and they're not going to discard something that they know like is going to lose them the game necessarily. They're going to discard something that they think is going to be impactful against Lavinia. But I, I think that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I, think yeah. probably, I don't know how many. I don't know how many like permanents that would break the lock that would matter. You're usually worried about like uncounterable spells that like destroy something. Oh, you just gilded right. trick Lavinia or Drenith Magistrate or whatever. No, I mean I guess that would be handing the game to somebody else. But yeah, that uh, would absolutely be handing the game to somebody else. But there, yes, I, there, there's stuff I can think about. I can yeah. think of that that would certainly help break that lock. And even just like giving people big beaters might be enough in a lot of cases. But yeah, yeah, that generally that generally works. But um, moving on to the next card on our list is Varagoth Blood Sky Sire, is a legendary creature demon rogue that costs two colorless in a black. It's a two three with death touch and a new ability called Boast, where if you attack with it this that turn, uh, you can activate this ability. And the ability reads, and it it's not a tap ability, so you can do this multiple times if you want to, is target player searches their library for a card, then shuffles their library and puts that card on top. Uh, so it's an Imperial Seal on a stick without losing life, and you can make other people draw cards. Uh, so, Cobble, what, what do you really think about this this card? So, I mean, first of all, I mean the card is cute. Can I, it, can I just interrupt for one second? Sorry, Cobble. Yeah. Uh, I just want to interrupt because um, before we get some comments about this, uh, the thing about Boast is that you can actually only use it once. Oh, um, you can. Yeah. yeah. So the, the version Unless you have the one at, card that lets you do more than one. Exactly. Boast. The version we're looking at okay. here doesn't have the reminder text. So, but uh, okay. but yeah, most of it, most of the versions will have reminder text that that say you can only boast once per turn. Sorry. Go ahead. Thank you for it. thank you for that. So um, this costs three. I mean, I, if this cost two to bring down, I think this would be an incredible card. Um, as it stands, you know, costing three to come down, so it comes down, you know, maybe maybe turn two or three, and then it needs to be able, you know, you have to wait a turn cycle to be able to attack with it. Um, the, the, the place that you're going to see this is with decks that can deterministically draw cards, especially when that draw is keyed off of combat. So thinking of, you know, Timna or Eureka, those kinds of lists where, you know, you're attacking with creatures and then because you attacked with or dealt damage with those creatures, then you get to draw some number of cards. This fits really well into that because you, you know, this is, it's, it's death touch, so people are going to be loath to, to block it and um, you're going to be able to get in there and then pay Basically, it, it in in that case, it becomes kind of a demonic tutor because you're going to get to draw the card that you tutored for, and what is, I mean, really cute that you can do with this. And and I say this as I, I call it cute because it's 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 not it's it's not a great ability, but I think that it's probably going to happen more often than you expect when people are trying to do it. Is if the thing that you go up and search for is opposition agent then um, this, this card a lot, it, it says target player searches their library. So if you've got an opposition agent in play and you force somebody else to search their library, then 
this becomes a lot more powerful because you, uh, you know, you're, you're still getting this, the, the same effect basically where you're getting access to kind of any card that you want, but you're also in that case, depriving your opponent of maybe something crucial or, you know, you're, if you, if you're taking their ad or you're taking, you know, uh, something that you want to be doing anyway, just depriving them of their access to that card, then, you know, you're creating kind of a disparity between, uh, the effic- efficacy of your list versus theirs. And, and it's, uh, I, I can see this playing in that pattern or people just using it to, you know, get whatever card they want into their hand every turn. I mean, if you, if you look at, if you look at Timna, you know, just drawing an extra card every turn is pretty good. Um, drawing any card you want out of your deck, tutoring any card every turn is, I think that's a pretty great effect too. So, um, I don't think that this is going to become a staple, but I definitely, I mean, I personally plan to try it out, especially in a couple of different Timna lists and see how it, you know, see how it pans out. I think this will be really good in Timna Jessica. That's where I see it really shining. Why do you see that as opposed to Timna anything else? Uh, I think mostly because of the, the, the fact that it's in Mardu, the tutors that it has are not amazing, right? Um, it's going to make the consistency, I feel like, a lot better while also being able to push the envelope on the battlefield. So not only are you going to draw cards with your Timna, but you're also going to be able to, um, you know, make it really big with your Jessica and I, I just think this will shine there uh, because that's the deck that needs a piece like this the most. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I don't know if I see it in that context, honestly. I think it's just too slow for Jessica Timna. And I, and I know that, Callahan, you play like every deck as a mid-range deck, no matter, <laughs> no matter, no matter how it's meant to be played. But I, I do think that Timna Jessica is a deck that... You know, typically you're you're trying to mulligan for those like turbo nausea type of hands, right? Because right. when the game goes long, like sure you have a recovery plan, but you can't really interact with other people's win attempts all that well, other than like through Jessica. And I mean like that's that's decent, but it's not enough against a lot of a lot of decks in the current meta who just like don't care about their creatures and play whatsoever. Um so yeah, I, I just think that, you know, Mardu, you know, I, I, I don't know, first of all, that I agree with the idea that Mardu doesn't have good enough tutor support that they need to play this because obviously they're in black. Um, they're missing out on, you know, Green's tutors for their win cons that they play and, you know, a few other tutors that you would get in like blue, for example, that that can support that plan or, or in blue and blue black, I should say. Um, but, you know, you still have pretty much like fairly solid tutor suite just from black alone and then you're adding gamble and enlightened tutor um yeah and i just don't think that this is efficient enough for that deck and i don't think it really operates on uh on like that the timna sort of timeline that you're looking for i think that you know you're happy to play you know the one mana you know or zero mana creatures because they don't hurt you for gnaws and and, you know, if you can get a fast Timna out, that's fine. But this is a three drop that you're trying to attack with 
for Timna sort of like later down the line. Um, you know, I, I just, I, I, I don't know. I can't see it in that, in that context personally. I mean, you're already playing like recruiter of the garden, ranger captain of Eos and that. I mean, you're already playing three, well, some three, three CMC cards. I mean, you, but, th- yeah. this feels better than like, than I mean, recruiter of the guard. Does it in my mind. Because recruiter of the guard finds dockside extortionist immediately. Right. And I think I mean, that's yeah. pretty much the big reason why you play that card. And, um, uh, the other one that you named, um, Ranger Captain of Aos. Yeah, Ranger Captain of Aos is a silence effect. So that's pretty much the reason why you play that card. Right. Because, but like, but I, I, my point, my point is that saying that it's three mana is too slow for that list. I don't know that is entirely true. Um, well, I think it's too I don't slow. Know, it's yeah. not. Go ahead. Right, it's not that it's three mana. It's that it costs three mana, and then it has takes to be the turn. thing that attacks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 No. Well, no. It takes no, two turns. I mean, it takes a turn if Timna's in play, but without right. Timna in play, it takes two turns, um, right. Right. which is the kind of timeline thing I was talking about before, where like you would prefer I'll, to I'll say this. Yeah, play Timna It's later. an incredibly fair card. Um, it's <laughs> like, certainly fair, yeah. Like, it is very fair, but... That's fair. Um, you know, Jesus Christ, Cobble. <laughs> you know, it's funny. So in our, in our, in our gameplay episode that came out, uh, with Jim from the Spike Feeders doing the play-by-play or the comment color commentary with me, he asked me at one point in the recording, you know, who the family or who the who the uh, channel dad has become, and I go, oh well, it's easily Cobblepot, just from true. the just from the the jokes alone, you know. <laughs> and he's I, also, I also the, have the most kids. <laughs> yeah, he has the most kids. Yeah, he's exactly. The only, you know, human father to humans. I was right. about to say you human know, father, I have... and I feel I felt like that would be revealing too much. <laughs> I just I just have you know dog friends, but that's all. And yeah, I only have cat um, friends, so you know. Well, moving anyway. on to a card now. Now, so Pongo, usually I would throw it back to you here uh, because Cobblepot did the last one, but this card in particular is a card that I really feel like Cobblepot's going to want to talk about. What? Um, <laughs> I I understand it's... I. I guess I have to tender my resignation right now is what you're saying. <laughs> uh, so the next card on our list as we're moving over into red is Burji, God of Storytelling. It's a legendary creature god uh, that is an MDFC and the front face of it is two colorless and a red. A lot of these gods are two colorless and uh, whatever color they are. And it's a 3-3 and it says whenever you cast a spell add red um, until end of turn you don't lose this mana as steps in phases end and the second ability to, or the second thing stapled onto there really doesn't matter it just says creatures you control can boast twice during each of your turns rather than once that really doesn't matter a whole lot the back side of it is a legendary artifact as well like all of these cards have been uh, and it is a it's a horn fell horn of bounty uh, it's four colorless and a red to cast it, and it has an ability that you don't tap for. Uh, that is, discard a card, exile the top two cards of your library. You may play those cards until end of turn. And the reason that I want to throw this at Cobblepot is he has been discussing this card, and I immediately saw this card and thought of it in the same context, uh, within the Shadow Bag archetype as a really good engine. Um, so, Cobblepot, what is your thoughts on 
this on on Bergy. So yeah, before talking about the horn, which is what you were talking about just now, uh, the the front half of this is, I mean, it's it, it's a really cool effect. So it's 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 similar to Kaikar, but it triggers on casting any spell. So um, you know you cast a zero mana rock, and all of a sudden it becomes you know more mana positive than it was because you're 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 stapling an extra red to it. So um, I. I certain that people are looking at this for stormish kind of shells uh, both in the mono red context but also in the context of other lists i've heard people talking about uh joyra i thought you would probably be excited about that yeah. just given the the what joyra already wants to be doing and how joyra is adding you know card advantage to casting you know those those uh types of you know rocks and, and things like that right. adding an extra red for for your trouble um makes it <laughs> that that much easier to, to to be able to combo out so it ticks um, a lot of boxes for that deck for sure right it makes mana neutral rocks mana positive and it makes mana positive rocks even more, more mana positive, positive. <laughs> right so so uh I, I i haven't done a lot of investigation into the front half side of this just because the back half side of it is I think, you know, equally exciting. So the, the back of it is, again, this is one of those cards where it's, it's five mana, which, which is a lot, but, um, this is one of those cases where, you know, it, it's, I, I think it's probably worth that, you know, given that you can discard a card and then get access to two more cards. There's, there, it's it's definitely consequential that it's not discard a card and draw two cards. I mean, mm-hmm. um, that because that would be way over the top. Uh, but <laughs> w- what what that's doing is when when you when you put this together with something like Bone Miser, and that's what you're you were kind of uh, you know intoning before. Where if you have Bone Miser, then you know you discard a card and then. Bone Miser sees those cards getting discarded and then, you know, lets you draw more cards or gives you mana or, you know, creates tokens and that kind of thing. So having this as your discard outlet for Bone Miser is uh, absolutely crazy just because you're using the, the, the mana from discarding cards to be able to pay for the other cards that you are exiling, you know, and getting access to. It's... Uh, it, it's one of those things that I, I think very similar to Bone Miser uh, is is better and better the the more cards you have in hand, obviously. Right. Um, so it, it's going to fit very well into the types of shells that could potentially, I, I won't say want to, but could potentially play Bone Miser. So right. anything that's running your Necropotence, anything that's running Adnaz, Peer into the Abyss, you know, wheel effects. This is, you know, really good with wheels. So, you know, you, you cast Wheel of Fortune and hold priority, discard your hand, put, you know, <laughs> 12 cards into exile and then draw seven more cards. And um, it, it's just really, really powerful uh, in, in, in those types of contexts. Now, if this is not, a, if you're not using it as a commander, but you're using it in the 99, a... A cool, a cool dynamic of this is the fact that this isn't a card that you're 
guaranteed to always use one particular side of. It's right. not like, well, we're always going to use the back or you know, no, we're probably always going to use the front. Really, there's there's lists that are going to be, you know, very active, stormy, lots of draw kind of lists that I could see, you know, it, it being a, a real point of deliberation, what side you want to use at what point of the game. There's going to be times that you're going to be like, well, I, th- I think that using the front half of this is going to make sense given what's happening right now because I, I need to, you know, use the, the ritual ability to be able to, you know, accelerate out the things that I'm going to do and then combo out. Or, you know, I, I've already got the mana that I need. Now I just need access to the cards. I'm going to use the backhand side of this and, you know, convert the, the, the mana that I have into the gas that I need in order to, to turn this into a win. So it's, it's one of those cards where it, it, is, it is flexible and applicable um, kind mm-hmm. of in, in, in both dimensions. And I think that that's uh, exciting because I, I, I haven't seen that for these multi-face cards before where it's a real conundrum which, which side you want to use. Um, normally, there's always you know, one dominant side. So... Um, if both sides are 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 that good, then I think the card is is really exciting. It's interesting because I think it's a card that really lets you kind of sculpt your hand. Uh, maybe not necessarily your hand per se, but like sculpt the cards that you want to see to some extent. Um, and of course, them not being in your hand uh, does change that to some extent. But like what you were saying, especially with Bone Miser or a Wheel, uh, this really lets you kind of you know, build your own hand almost, right? Right. I, I, one of the things about it, especially if you're, you know, using a lot of wheels, is while, while it is kind of, you can you can look at it as a negative that, oh, now now I can't discard those cards to Bone Miser, for instance, or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But it, it's, it, it, they're sort of like Praetor's Grasped, kind of. They're, they're in exile, and you can use them, and they're kind of insulated from whatever's happening with all of the wheel effects. So... Maybe, you know, you, you know, you, you discard a card and then, uh-oh, I, I, I exiled Thassa's Oracle and Demonic Consultation. Oh, great. Okay, now all I got to do is just be able to get myself to cast those things. Maybe I'll wheel a couple more times and keep them in exile and, you know, get myself to a point where I can cast and protect both of those. And because you're, you're going to be exiling counter spells and you're going to be exiling, you know, maybe other things too having those things kind of in this hand that's off to the side that's, you know, completely isolated from what you're doing with whatever wheels plan you're up to. Uh, I, I, I think that that makes some of those lines stronger because they're, uh, you know, not going to be disrupted in the same way that the rest of your, your, your cards would normally be in, in kind of a big wheels sort of a plan, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. No, it makes total sense. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to to see to play this card, and like you said, I'm really excited to to play it specifically in in Joyra. Uh, but I also want to try it out in those those shadow bag shells. I'm really excited to see what that does, especially because if you discard all your stuff, you get a shadow of the grave. You cast that, get all that stuff back, rinse, repeat. Right? Like it just yep. it it has so many good. Uh, things that you can do with it but um i could go on and on about that forever but anyhow um up next on our list is magda brazen outlaw 
this is a legendary creature that is a dwarf berserker uh, that is one colorless and a red and is a 2-1. And the abilities on it are other dwarves you control get plus 1 plus 0. Whenever a dwarf you control becomes tapped, create a treasure token. And then the second ability, or the last ability is Sacrifice Five Treasures. Search your library for an artifact or dragon card. Put that card onto the battlefield, then search your library. So, um, there's quite a bit of things here, Pongo, but what is this that you really see with it as the potential in CEDH? I know when this got spoiled, a lot of people immediately went right to, oh, Dockside gets Cloudstone Curio, and you could start your loop. So, what is it exactly that this is going to be doing? Well, I think you, you basically said uh, the long and short of it for. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is, you know, it's a powerful card, both as a commander or, you know, kind of like as a self-contained little module within another deck, um, largely because it has such a strong synergy with Dockside, as you said. Now, I think this is like a super well-designed card uh, as a top-down design. I love the flavor of it. I love that it interacts with dwarves um, and that it encourages attacking, but it also encourages, uh, you know, uh, crewing uh, vehicles and stuff like that. I think that they really, really nailed it with this one. That mm-hmm. being said, as far as uh, CDH is concerned, um, you know, helming, helming her own deck, what I really like about this deck or this card is that with Dockside Extortionist, um, you get to make five treasures. Uh, at that point, you get to tutor up Cloudstone Curio. And as long as you have just like another creature in play or in your hand, you can start. Um, you can start looping Dockside Extortionist to make infinite mana, at which point you're going to have more treasures to tutor up, you know, another artifact, say an Aetherflux Reservoir, uh, and you're essentially storming in Mono Red. What's really cool about that is that in Mono Red, you know, what is the most tutorable card type? Some people think it's artifacts, you know, but that's not actually that true. There's like two Goblin. There's like two tutors for artifacts. The most tutorable card type is Goblins. Um, so essentially, yeah, you've got like all kinds of goblin tutors. And so finding Dockside is not that, that hard. I mean, it's certainly, it would certainly be easier if you were in black red, but it's doable in red. Um, and at which point, you know, Magda more or less has, you know, kind of a pseudo one card win condition with Dockside Extortionist, which is just a good card on its own, um, that you're going to run anyway. So that's really cool. And you can kind of just run that same package in other decks as well. Um, you know, you can be playing Dockside Curio in your, like, Thrasios Chrom deck. Um, and then, you know, that's a fine combo. And you can just run Magda as well um, if you, you know, so choose. And if you just somehow manage to have five treasures in play, um, then you can use Magda as a way to assemble the rest of the combo, more or less. Um you know, notably, it's not going to be able to find the Dockside Extortionist on its own, but, um, you know, she is capable of generating some value on her own as a two-drop that, you know, when she attacks will give you a treasure, um, you know, which as a floor is okay. Uh, and then, yeah, she, you know, she gives you some of that density um, in those colors that you might otherwise be lacking. You know, being able to tutor up two creatures to win is really, really nice in Teamer. Um you know, but additionally, you could be playing this in in like sort of more of a um, 
like a Malcolm type shell, for example, where Malcolm is also generating treasures and has positive synergy with Magda, you know, where you might want to be playing Dockside anyway. You know, it, it gets a little bit more questionable when you don't have Thrasios as the outlet. But like, you know, I, I think that there's, you know, a lot of different directions that you can take this card. And, uh, you know, I think it's uh, it, it's quite powerful. Um, you know, it's something that I actually think would be uh, pretty all right with this. Uh the more you're talking, the more I'm thinking about it, is um, specifically doing something with um, with Thrasios and Roger, and then you yeah. have Thrasios there as your value engine, as your outlet, uh, but then you always have Roger there as your Cloudstone combo piece. Right. Um, and that actually sounds more interesting to play than it, it, it this in that shell to me than in Thrasios Krom. You do lose Krom, which is, you know, substantial because Krom's a really good value engine. But I think that if you're going to be taking this route, I would rather have uh, Rograk in the zone at all times uh, that I can just go and grab rather than and, and that also opens you up to playing like mox amber and a lot of quicker stuff and so i i think in my opinion i think the the big the big if i was going to be putting this in a team or shell i would be putting this in thrasios and uh thrasios roger i i think Krom is too good to pass up personally but i understand like there's you definitely uh, highlight some advantages to playing roger and i i don't mean to diminish those i think that those are valid points for sure mm -hmm. um i think that i mean to the point of um specifically mox amber i think you can play that just fine alongside thrasios um you know without needing roger but certainly it is nice to have that zero drop to help with the uh, the curio loops to make this you mm -hmm. know less of a uh you know pseudo two card win condition uh, and make it more of like a true two card win condition uh, mm -hmm. I just think that having the uh, you know the actual value engine in in Chrome is is more to my liking, more to my my That's style. Fair. Yeah, that's fair. Um, on to our next card. Uh, this is the red card everybody was talking about when it was spoiled. Is Tybalt's Trickery, which is a uh, colorless in a red instant, and it is a red counter spell. It says counter target spell. But of course, it's in red, so there's a little bit of a, you know, Wall of asterisk. Text. Yeah, there's <laughs> a little bit of text, but there's an asterisk next to this counter target spell. Uh, it says choose one, two, or three at random. Its controller mills that many cards, then exiles cards from the top of their library until they exile a non land card with a different name than the spell. They may cast that card without paying its mana cost. Then they put that card. Ex then they put the exiled cards on the bottom of, the, of their library in a random order. So, Cobble, when we're talking about this card, I know we've seen a lot of people talk about it. We've heard a lot of hype about it. Uh, it is a red counter spell with an asterisk. Uh, but you know, will this see play? Uh, what are the things that you really expect out of this card? So, this is a card that. I think we'll see play in places where you don't have access to blue counter magic. So mm -hmm. if you've if you've got red, it this is a I wanna say a perfectly adequate 
counterspell for disrupting A plus B style combos. So if somebody is, you know, trying to assemble, you know, an A plus B where it needs to be an A plus a B, then, you know, no matter what it is that you get off the rest of their deck, you're going to be disrupting their combo. There, there is, because of the fact that this is kind of doing a, you know, kind of like a, a stack-based chaos warp, you don't know what it is that it's actually going to have that player cast. Yeah, there, there is the chance that you're going to hand them an Adnaz or you're going to hand them a Peer into the Abyss or, you know, but something else that is uh, maybe, you know, n- equally not the thing that you wanted to, to, to have happen there. Um, but, I mean, you, you can look at statistics and, you know, the, the percentages of people's decks that are those types of effects. And it's, it, it's, it's, it's going to happen less often it, or you can say that it, it's it's going to be profitable for you to counter somebody's spell and give them something of lower value more often than it is, or it's going to happen much more often than them getting something that's like an Adnos effect. So mm-hmm. again, you know, you can sort of make this work more in your favor by you know, running it in, you know, rule of law or, you know, having lists that are, you know, heavy on, you know, Dranith Magistrate or something like that, in which case this just becomes a counterspell. But, I mean, a lot of those decks that have access to those things probably often have access to blue counter magic anyway. So um, it's, it's, it's maybe unnecessary, but it's one of those things that, you know, you don't, you don't know. Uh, it's, it, it's something that people need to consider when they're choosing whether or not they want to consider this spell. Now, when it was first revealed, I mean, people definitely started thinking of, okay, you know, it's any spell, so I can counter my own spells here and use it to, you know, play something off of, you know, the top of my deck. It, it's going to have that same problem. So the fact that you are choosing one, two, or three at random, that is, it makes it, I think really untenable to try to use this for your own combos because really you even if you have something like um scroll rack where you can you can say i want to take this many cards and put them on top of my deck right now um you have to you have to execute that that scroll rack prior to finding out whether it's one two or three that's going to happen so it's like to, to make that work and to make it deterministic, you have to have, you know, exactly. Well, I mean, you can't make it deterministic because you need to have four cards in hand, one being the card you want to cheat into play and three lands. Right. Which I mean, that that's how often is that going to happen? It, it's, it's just one of those things where you're, you're, you're putting in so much work to make this one thing happen. There's, there's better ways to do it. So um, really, I, I, I don't see this card being leveraged in that way. I don't, I don't think people are going to realize, um, uh, you know, I, you know some, someone may come up with something that, that we haven't considered, but more or less, this is just going to be a counterspell in red for circumstances where people don't have access to the better blue counterspells that are available. Now, this, this does have some wacky things, with Krark because um, where it, if, if you're not, if you don't care what it is that you're casting, 
you just want to cast more things off the top of your deck, then this is becoming, it, it becomes card advantage, basically. So with Krark, if you, you know, cast this and get two or three copies of it, then, you know, you're potentially actually, you know, effectively drawing card or, you know, gaining access to, to cards that aren't in your hand. So you're getting card advantage out of the, the deal. But I think that's that's kind of the edge case. Um, that's that is probably the main list that I think you're going to see people wanting to play this card. I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, yeah, pretty I much think, agree with everything sorry, you said. <laughs> um, yeah. I think there's like only one thing that you really didn't touch upon, which is, and I, I think actually you touched upon it, but didn't necessarily state it explicitly, or I missed it, which is, um, you know, non-blue decks that are playing Rule of Law, for example, uh, are especially going to like this card, um, just because, you know, with Rule of Law, Dranith Magistrate in play, for example, you just negate any potential value that they're going to get out of it, so... Um, like that's, that's a pretty cool little get for a deck, like, uh, you know, like a Metapod type deck, a blood pod type deck, for example. Sure. This feels interesting in something like, uh, Winota too. Um, actually. Yeah. 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 I think this would be very interesting. I um, mean, it's great for the low color non-blue decks. Um, you know, right. Just because, like Cobble was saying, like they don't have the better options. You know, blue decks are like trimming things like delay already. And when you're trimming delay, you're probably not looking at Tibalt's trickery uh, <laughs> as as a replacement. But um, right. you know, decks that don't have any or or very much stack interaction at all are, you know, when they're trying to win or like when they're only concerned about very very specific things, uh, you know, they're going to appreciate having this card, right? Like if your opponent is trying to interact with your sort of lock um and you counter that spell and like you know they find a counter spell after like that doesn't matter like it it, it just doesn't matter because like they need a removal and there's not that mm-hmm. much removal in their deck you know if it and and that applies i think you know like you were saying to Winota really really well um you know if, if you're playing creature based win conditions in your non-blue deck you know a lot of the time their one counter spell that they might be playing that hits your creature, you know, if they flip into another counterspell, chances are it's going to be like a fluster storm or a dispel or something. It's not going to be relevant. So like, yeah, 100% agree with, uh, with cobble on this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, going on into the next card in our list is the, uh, green card on the list is Toski bearer of secrets, which is a legendary squirrel, that costs three colorless and a green and is a 1-1. One, one. And it says this spell can't be countered. It's indestructible. And whenever it, it whenever Toski Bearer of Secrets attacks each com- it attacks each combat if able. And whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. Uh, so Pongo, this is, you know, where do you evaluate this? This is very similar to something like Edric and Orin Frostfang. Uh, do you think it's better than those cards? Yeah, I think it's contextual. Um, I think in most decks, this is going to be better than Edric. Um, I mm-hmm. think if you're playing like specifically Derevi Prison and like not the more mid-range style Derevi decks that are, I would say, better these days, um, you know, Edric is probably better just because the symmetrical nature of Edric matters a whole lot less when your opponents can't really leverage that card draw to begin with. Um, but 
you know, I would say in general, you almost certainly want this effect to be uh, asymmetrical rather than symmetrical, which this is. And for only one more mana, you know, we're talking four mana. That is a lot. You know, that might be too much for this card to see widespread play. But I do think that it's not so much that it can't or won't see any play. Um, you know, people have played Oran Frostfang in the in the past at five mana. Um, and while that card, I would argue, is better just because, like, the body is substantially more powerful. It gives your creatures kind of, like, pseudo-evasion. Uh, it has, you know, pseudo-evasion. Um, you know, I, I think that paying only four mana for that effect is, in many cases, going to be a significant enough upgrade that, you know, this should slot into more contexts than, than Oran Frostfang. Um, I, I'm certainly interested in trying it out. Um, I don't know how relevant it is that it can't be countered, uh, just because in our format there's only so many counter spells that hit creatures. Indestructible is relevant because it has to attack each combat, you know, otherwise, like, it would, it would get blocked and killed pretty readily and pretty easily. But, uh, at least this way, you know, if opponents only have mana dorks in play, they can't trade with it. They would have to chump block it, and so they're probably not going to block it. Um, you know, it, it's probably not going to connect with a lot of opponents, but I think that, that that's true for Edric as well, uh, you know, who gets blocked pretty easily by something like a Thrasios. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think this is, this is a pretty solid card. I don't think it's, like, an incredible card, but, you know, there's, there's a few places where I could see myself playing it, like, mid-range to Revy, it's, it's a solid maybe for me. Yeah. What about mid-range uh, Najila? Mm. Yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> um, I think four mana is a lot for Najila, unfortunately. Um, you know, something like the Revy, at, at least, like, that's four mana. You know, you hit that four mana threshold, but then you're going to untap a bunch of lands. So it's, like, effectively going to be less than four mana. Um, in Najila, you know, that effectively means you're taking, like, you're, you're almost tapping out, uh, to, to resolve this. So, yeah, I, am not necessarily super hyped for it in, in Najila, but, but, you know, I, I, I'm ready, I could be pleasantly surprised. I mean, it was more of a show. I, I, are you even running Edric in Najila? I don't know, but people that's are general, because so. of it being symmetrical. There were versions that ran that or Timna, right? I used to run it, yeah. Um, and it's certainly possible that like the metagame is at a place where it could be more correct to run it now that people are not really running as many uh, like Thrasios Timna piles with mana dorks and stuff like that. Uh, you know, I could see Edric being a lot better. Um, I know that for the pods that I play in, I still play against a lot of people who are still jamming, you know, uh, creature-based decks, a lot of Thrasios still, a lot of Timna, uh, in addition to, like, you know, some of the other pods. So I, I usually like to tune my decks more for, like, blind metas. Um, and, and you know, that to me implies that probably you shouldn't be playing Edric. Uh, mm-hmm. But, like, you know, if you know that Edric's going to be good in your meta because people aren't going to leverage the value very well, then, you know, I think it's still a reasonable play in uh, Najila. And Timna is mostly only out because it's like an awkward casting cost and and sometimes it can be pretty tough to 
guarantee that you're going to get that maximum Timna value. Right. Uh, on to our next card in the list is another god. Uh, this is Asika, god of the tree. It's a 3 CMC spell. It's one colorless and two green uh, with Vigilance. That's also an MDFC uh, that has tap, add one, mini, one mana of any color. Uh, it has another ability that says other legendary creatures you control have Vigilance and tap, add one mana of any color. Uh, and it's also a 1-4. On the other side of the card, it's a legendary enchantment called the Prismatic Bridge that costs Wooburg. Uh, it says at the beginning of your upkeep, reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a creature or planeswalker card. Put that card onto the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. order. So Cobblepot, outside of this card, being uh, totally not the Rainbow Bridge, wink, wink, uh, all of that jazz, um, you know, what is this card? How do you feel about it? And where do you think it fits within CDH? I mean, I don't know. This it's I, I'm not particularly jazzed about this card. I mean, it's it's one green mana away from being really good in Sisse with Jagantha. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh doesn't really work there because of the double green. So it's I mean, how many so the the front half of it I I am struggling to 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 find a, a place that that really fits and feels like home. The 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 back of it maybe if you squint you can if you if you have a deck let's say like fairer magic. So um you have you have a deck that wants to constrain people's abilities to cast spells. So you're you know doing all the rule of law effects or you might want to get into the cases where you have uh, possibility storm locks and stuff like that where people can't cast things. This is letting you accrue value and put things onto the onto the battlefield every turn uh, without casting them. I mean, yeah, I, I, I guess you can do that. But um, th- there's not really anything for me that's that's coming to mind that, that feels really compelling. Like, wow, this enables a strategy that we couldn't really do before or fits really well into an existing strategy there mm-hmm. it's it's just not really doing it for me right yeah this, uh, this card Pongo, is, what did you think <laughs> i mean it's interesting to talk about because you know five color commanders i i would say uh have a very high potential to just be immediately broken and this one unfortunately doesn't or or fortunately let me I, I, let me re- retract my previous statement fortunately uh is not quite up to you know snuff for being broken um but it's one card one sorry one word away from being really absurd in a deck that i'm very fond of uh the fact that it says other legendary creatures you control have vigilance and tap add one mana of any color is kind of disappointing uh it's about as disappointing for me (laughs) as like the green green mana cost is for for rebel i'm sure (laughs) <laughs> uh, because of the Gigantasis uh, interaction, um, yeah. If this card applied to, you know, creature tokens, non well, for example, right? right. Warrior uh, tokens, warrior tokens. <laughs> uh, that would be pretty good, <laughs> giving them both vigilance as well as uh, the ability to subsequently tap for mana. Uh, would imply would make this a Najil Wincon, which it's not currently. Uh, it would be a slower Najila Wincon, 
compared to like options that we already have but it would be much more tutorable being a creature and then like the value proposition of it just like playing it as you know really really powerful ritual uh is kind of like what would i think push it over the top into you know being something i would be very excited about playing in that deck even if it's not as good as you know like in a, in a vacuum as something like nature's will um mm-hmm. i do think that you know people have explored this card as command a commander um and one deck that i did see that i, I found very cute was essentially like a five color goto deck uh because you know the obvious like i would say like the first way anybody evaluating this card immediately thinks to build it is as like a kind of like a oath of druids style deck where you're playing like one creature that you're like hoping to hit um and you're obviously not playing any planeswalkers um so if that one creature in your deck is goto um then you immediately get to tutor out uh helm of the host and essentially you've got like you know, a five mana Goto who puts Helm of the Host into play. And, you know, in theory, you know, in the rest of your deck, you can still play some of those effects that let you, like, cheat on the equip cost. Um, or, you know, presumably because you waited a turn, you know, you're you're going to have just enough mana to equip it anyway. Uh, I think it's cute, but not quite good enough because it's, it's highly, highly telegraphed. You know, hitting Wooberg is tough. Um, you know, and there's like a whole host of other reasons why you know it's a little bit problematic like it's very easy to interact with goto combo um you know with multiple types of interaction um you know i i think like if if you're gonna play this as like a five mana like or not a five mana five color turbo nos deck and you just have like uh like a mana dork randomly in the command zone you know like that might be better <laughs> I've got I've got the one I've got I've got the build for you. Yeah. All right. This is this is I got two words for you. All right. Bloom tender. Tide spout tyrant. <laughs> yeah. That's that's the way you go. That's I mean, but the problem is you don't have an infinite mana outlet in the command zone, right? So like what? Oh, that's just a technicality, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's actually like one of the big issues uh, you know, with this card. If this card wasn't infinite mana outlet, I mean like, forget about it. We'd be having a completely different conversation, probably. Right. But, uh, you know, even if it was, like, colored mana, um, where, at w- which point, you know, you could theoretically still play Tidespout Tyrant and, like, try to play some rocks that generate rainbow mana and, and get there that way. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, I mean, but that's all besides the point that's, you know, counterfactual to what this card actually is, which is it's not an infinite mana outlet, which means that the Tidespout lines are unfortunately not not the best right well uh you know moving on to our next card on the list is as we move into these uh multicolor cards is the new tibble card that is a mdfc uh the front face is valky god of lies it's a colorless and a black legendary god that's a two one and it reads when valky enters the battlefield each opponent reveals their hand. For each opponent, exile a creature card they revealed this way until Valky leaves the battlefield. And then it has an ability that is uh, X colorless. 
choose a creature card exiled with Valky with converted mana cost X. Valky becomes a copy of that card. The backside of it is Tybalt Cosmic Imposter. It's five colorless black and a red. Uh, that is a planeswalker with five starting loyalty and the ability that says as Tybalt enters the battlefield, you get an emblem with you may play cards exiled with Tybalt and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast these spells. So it has a plus two that says exile the top card of each player's library. You have a minus three that says exile target artifact or creature. And you have a minus eight that says exile all cards from all graveyards. Add red, red, red. So add three red. So we were talking about this card a little bit before we went on the air. And uh, I have some opinions about it. But first, before we really even get into my thoughts on the card. Pongo, where where are we standing with this card? What seems to work with it? What do you think? Yeah, so I'm not sold on this card necessarily. And, you know, we were talking about this a little bit before recording. Full disclosure, I'm, I'm sure we'll get back into that conversation because we don't necessarily all agree on that. But, um, you know, I think Valky is a little underwhelming in CEDH. Like, I get that it has some applications. Um, I get that it hits every opponent. Um, and it can be disruptive by hitting certain things like Dockside Extortionists. You know, I can't gain value by subsequently becoming a Dockside Extortionist because you don't get the ETB effect. But, you know, where this card is potentially really interesting is, again, in a deck like Sisse, um, five color Sisse to be clear, where, you know, for two mana, you've got a legendary creature, which does something, um, but, you know, also kind of increments Sisse up one power. Um, and I know that Rebel, you know, the, that the Pioneer, in, in Sisse technology uh, has been trying uh, Bring to Light alongside Valky, uh, which is really interesting because, um, you know, a lot of people are familiar with the fact that if you cascade into Valky, uh, at least according to the current rules, um, we don't know if this will be the case when Kaldheim finally drops, but at least according to the rules as they're currently written, if you cascade into Valky, you can cast Tybalt. Which My is, understanding with the set notes that did come out is that did not change. Okay. So I, I hadn't looked at the set notes. I wasn't sure that they had dropped. Um, so if that's still true, great. Um, a lot of people are going to be trying that out. Uh, and and Tybalt is a powerful enough Planeswalker um, that it's going to win games when that happens. That's for sure. Uh, but yeah, so Bring to Light is a card that Rebel was trying out because you can do the same thing where you can bring to light for Valky and cast Tybalt instead, you know, for whatever reason. Um, so in CEDH, is Tybalt a good card? I think Tybalt's a pretty strong card, you know, in CEDH. I don't know that it's necessarily, like, game-winning like it is in, in 1v1. I think there's going to be a lot of times where you get Tybalt into play and you still manage to lose. But there's going to be a lot of times, too, where, uh, you know, it's going to just carry the game for you because it's kind of a little bit like Karn in the sense that it's got a ton of loyalty. Um, it answers, you know, a, a variety of relevant permanent types. And in Tybalt's case, uh, it's not just any type of permanent like Karn, but uh, he does hit artifacts and creatures. So, you know, that that is going to be enough to set at least somebody back. Um 
you know, potentially uh, at, at that point, the table will be able to keep the game going long enough for you to extract value out of Tybalt. And where Tybalt differs from something like Karn is that his ability um, scales pretty well into multiplayer because he plus he goes plus two, which means that he comes down at like seven effective loyalty, which is huge. Um, and he excels the top card of each player's library. So if you have multiple opponents, that includes all three of them as well. Uh, and then, you know, you get to cast those cards. So you kind of get like a mini, um, like Paco effect. Uh, and we know that like, that's pretty powerful card advantage. Um, you know, this is a little bit more restrictive. Well, actually no, because you, you can still play lands because he says you can play the cards. Um, mm-hmm. so it's, it's not really yep. any less restrictive. Uh, you're just seeing fewer cards uh, compared to something like Paco. Um, or wait, no, sorry, I'm I'm just wrong. You're seeing it's essentially just Paco, um, <laughs> which is which is pretty powerful. Right. It's um, arguably better Paco because it has removal stapled on. Yeah, it. and you don't need Halden in, in play either. Right. Um, so so it's a very it is a powerful value engine. That's for sure. Um, there's no doubt about that. You just need to be playing a deck that you know kind of like wants to actually leverage that uh that and you can value and you can play those cards forever right it's not yeah. as long as you control tibble it's not as long as you blah 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 blah. no it's you get the you emblem, get emblem you right get away. to cat right yeah um and i am looking at the uh release notes and instead of changing the rules for that cascade thing, they actually doubled down on it oh, and made sure they were it. very, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were very clear about it. Um, so you can, in fact, bring to light uh, off of that. You can cascade into that. Um, and I, I just, man, this card is so good. They just wanted I, this I think, to be the like, like the um, Oko of this set, basically. This this card is going to. Go sh- out the so I am very high on this card. I think this is an incredibly good card. Um, and I think that if I think that this should be in decks that are on destructive game plans, period, end of story. Um, yeah, but I, I don't know how much I like it if you're not doing the cascade slash bring to light type of stuff. Well, hear me out, right. So there's there's a lot of there's a lot of pieces here. So I think on one hand, the immediately play the the place that I I think of immediately is I feel like this is a card that fits really into the sans white type of disruptive deck. Um, and the reason I feel that way is first of all it is hand disruption uh, that it gives you perfect information on everybody at the table's hands. Um, we were talking about it earlier before, and I think it is very important to conceptualize this card instead not as a um, as like a Praetor's Grasp or a way to steal creatures. The way to conceptualize this is as sort of like a uh, Inquisition of Kozilek type of effect. And it feels to me that it's very specifically tailored to work in Commander to to bring that I, I i think i was listening to uh morgan and reed in their into the north uh episode where they were talking about the differences between 60 card and um edh and one thing that they were bringing up was how like if you were to build burn uh to make it just as efficient 
uh, or lightning bolt, make it just as efficient in 100 card as it is in 60 card, it would have to be one mana, deal six damage to each opponent, right? This card feels like it is designed with that, like, brain space of this is a, this is hand disruption uh, built for a four-player game. And, like, the, the choose a creature card, you can make it a copy of that. I think that's not entirely relevant. I think it could be potentially, depending on what is exiled, you could get maybe a big beefy boy off of that. Who knows? Uh, but I, I really think the ability to play both of these cards, and maybe if you're later in the game and you really want to play a big top-end card like Tybalt, um, in, you're also, especially in a Sans White deck, you're going to be in the colors to be able to play stuff like Bring to Light. Uh, that just is going to be a good tutor uh, that gets a lot of different things and puts it into play. Um, I think this card just off the front half or the front half alone is worth playing in CDH 100%, especially in disruptive strategies. Yeah, I go ahead. Call don't me. know if I agree. <laughs> it's so when when we compare this to. Um, Oh my goodness. Uh, Paco. Paco and Halden. I mean, when those, you know, when those commanders are going, they're, they're, you know, creating a lot of card advantage and they're, they're really strong. Uh, do you, do you see them in the metagame? Not, I, I, not a ton, they've, a ton they've, but a little they've, bit. They've, they've kind of, they've, they've fallen off yeah. pretty hard. Um, Some just, of that is because they're hard to play on webcam, to be fair. Okay. That could be true. Um, also, they're they're just you know totally totally killed by uh, Dranath Magistrate, and mm-hmm. we see a lot of Dranath Magistrate in in the metagame, and I I think that the same silver bulletness that Dranath Magistrate has against Paco and, and Halden uh, holds here against Tybalt, and I, I I think that the you know the bring to light line. Is 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 certainly clever. Um, it's that's how much mana are you paying for that? Is that four mana? It would be five. Uh, no, you don't need to pay. F- yeah, yeah. You, you no, you only five. need to pay. Wait, the, the spell costs five. Five. It's, it's but you don't need colors. to pay. Yeah, you just need to pay green the blue. three colorless. You just need to right. green pay the green blue because. Um, so, it's. Yeah. It one, it, it's it's going to be kind of a telegraphed play because what else are you going to use bring bring to light for? And it's a high man high mana cost spell, so it's going to be harder to protect often. Um, I I think that you know it's going to be one of those things that's going to catch people, and once people have been caught by it, sort of like Paco and Halden, where they they're they're going to look at it and kind of have some disdain for it and not respect it. And then they'll get their asses kicked by it, and then they'll respect it, but know how to deal with it. I, I mean, think you can this... get Adnaz off of Bring Delight. Not if you like, only pay... Uh, yeah, you can. Yeah. I mean, if you pay Wooberg, if you, you can't have to pay Wooberg. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's the yeah, issue, but right? You can get... But that's not terribly hard, but you can get that. You could get Twister. You can get Wheel of Fortune. You can get Notion Thief, you can get Hull Breacher, you can get oh, okay. all these yeah, different yeah. pieces. You're saying you that can it's get, applicable in a, in a It's wide applicable of to a lot of stuff. I don't think it's just 
we're getting this one thing. This is a, and especially, so we're sitting at a table and I have bring to light and I'm just playing, you know, the deck normal. Right. And I pay five mana. And if I have like the right stuff, right. It's, it's no different than casting an ad nauseum in my mind, because now you're able to go grab it from your deck from anywhere. People are going to treat it with, the appropriate amount of respect in that case they're if if they're if they're not aware of it they're going to say bring the light okay whatever and you know then something really bad will happen um but that'll happen once then people will go okay bring to light is going to be it that that's a a significant play i need to treat that with respect and i'm not going to let that resolve right and, but well, if you're you, saying that it's up- too expensive then the same thing can be said about um, ad nauseum, then, right? Right, because well, ad nauseum is the exact same CMC. Li- people will treat it like an ad nauseum, is what I'm saying. It's going to get right. that amount of respect, which means you know a lot of times ad nauseums don't resolve because people will fight against it. And I think that once people realize what's going on with bring to light in those contexts, they're going to fight with the an equal amount of vim and vigor. And it's. I, I think a, a but I don't think that's a of, knock against it though, right? I think it's because a, like, well, one that, thing I want to say is is it's unclear to me that you would fight over a bring to light that gets a two drop, for example. So if, right. if you can engineer it such that you are paying three colorless and your opponent knows that you're restricted to getting a two drop and that you're likely getting Tybalt, like, you know, like you might be able to just let that go. Like Tybalt's very strong, and so I understand. That it's it's correct to fight over it in a lot of situations, but it's not immediately winning the game, right? It it kind of has right. a similar effect to like Paco in that respect, where you might just not fight over Paco and you kind of just let them have it because you would prefer to right. hit the thing that is either winning right. directly or protect your own win. Um, my, now, my, for, for what it, it's worth, my, for what it's worth. Sorry, go ahead. For what it's worth, um, Paco doesn't have a minus three ability that says exile target magistrate. <laughs> but he does That's have so, a, an ability called being the goodest, bestest boy who, pun- who punches you in the hard. face and deletes you from the game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, and I'm not, I, I understand where you're coming from, Cobblepot, but I guess my point is, is that Bring to Light's floor is getting Tybalt, right? And its ceiling is winning the game. So... To me, I don't see it as a problem wanting to play that card because if it's either getting me Tybalt at its lowest end or if it's getting me Ad Nauseum at its top end, it's 100% worth it in that context. Yeah, I, I, I would sense. have to be playing a deck like Sissé, which can't, like specifically Gigantha Sissé, which can't play Ad Nauseum, right? Otherwise, I don't think I'm that excited to have uh, a, like a Wooburg specifically tutor that gets ad nauseum and if that's the card that i want in most situations and i'm also like probably not playing valky in that deck well maybe but here's why it's better than any but but so if you're playing here i'm gonna i I know we're supposed to be talking about valky right now but now i'm getting really worked up and now i really want to defend bring to light in this context because you're saying you don't want to play that right but we play imperial seal and to get or we play demonic tutor get the get the ad nauseum cast it. This is better because you're paying it and then you don't pay the casting cost again. I think right? I think like you're you are, underestimating how hard it is to pay Wooberg to though. get Wooberg. I mean, 
it, a lot of the times I see people casting ad nauseums are off of Doxides. And if I, I got it, if I just dox it off of Grim Monoliths, Mana Vaults, Dark Rituals. I mean, that's but, true, too. But we live in a right. Dockside world, baby. And if I got Dockside <laughs> and I got Bring Delight, I might as well have Ad Nauseum in my hand. Right. Like, y- I, yes. I, but that means it, it means that you have to have Dockside and Bring to Light. You it you can't do it with your all of your other rituals you can't have it with culling the weak or cabal ritual or right you know, no the, all of fair. the other ways that people but, piece those but things you're obviously you're often. obviously not playing it in you know a deck like you know i can't even think about anything that's in lower colors that would consider it this is obviously like four colors and up or we're talking about it right well yeah like yeah. for converge yeah, yeah. you want to be playing four plus colors I mean, you can make five colors in lower lists. That's not unreasonable, especially between, you know, uh, all the different, you know, you know, uh, what's it? Rainbow lands that we play. Right. We play tons of them. Yeah. So it's not like it's unreasonable to say that my mana base can't produce that. No, but I think you're not going to rely on it. Right. Because you can't do that necessarily consistently. I, I just I, I think especially between things like Birds of Paradise and Exotic Orchard and yada, yada, yada. I think it's certainly, certainly capable of being good. And I think that it's I, I, I see it as really good, especially. I mean, hell, Bloom Tender casts that card. Uh, I mean, what else casts that card? Well, I mean, depending on what you have out on the board, like it's there's plenty of things that can cast that Deathrite Shaman can help you cast it like there's. There's a lot. Of, I think you're underestimating how hard or how easy it is to make Wooberg. I no, I don't think I am. I think I'm estimating it appropriately. Just you're thinking you're about, talking like, to Mr. Najila. Played recently. Um, yeah, I really want Bring to Light to see a lot of play because I spec'd on that card a really really long time ago, and I still have like two play sets of it. So it's a good card. <laughs> don't get me wrong. <laughs> I I really do want that card to be good. I'm just not sure I, that we're quite there yet. I, I think it's playable. I think especially the more I think about it, I think that it's especially in five color lists. I think that people are not I, considering that as a direct way of getting your ad nauseum. I do think we've digressed never. a fair bit. Um, we have. Um, I, I think if we're talking about Valky specifically, though, I do want to like touch upon the like Inquisition and Thoughtseize comparison you made. Because mm-hmm. I do think that the fact that it's restricted to creatures makes it not a particularly clear comparison to either of those cards right um you know a lot of decks aren't playing that that many creatures and a lot of them are not playing creatures that are necessarily that important um sure you can theoretically hit a dock side you can theoretically hit a thos's oracle um and that could be disruptive but you know it 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 would be more of like slowing them down than anything because it's only until valky leaves the battlefield um so you know like like exiling it or making them discard it might be theoretically better in certain cases well yeah um but you know the other sort of downside to getting that perfect information is you're because it's reveal you're also giving Mm -hmm. that information to your other opponents and that's a double-edged sword right you're getting the most amount of information but two your opponents are each getting information on half of their well two-thirds of their opponents um Mm -hmm. which you know kind of like something like a telepathy uh, means that they can subsequently plan out their turns a lot better as well, um, and theoretically, at that point, they know, you know, what does what do my opponents have as far as 
interaction for my win conditions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I do think that, you know, you have the most information and protect the most amount of information in this sort of deal. Um, and that's, that is powerful. Uh, and it's not like a perfect comparison with telepathy because of that, because you can kind of, you know, it, it lets you play your opponents off of each other a lot better than telepathy lets you. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I'm still not necessarily convinced that, like, Valky, Valky's effect is going to be consistently good enough that I'm excited to play it, if that makes any sense. Um, you know, right. when, when you can hit, like, Opposition Agent and Hole Breacher, like, that, if that happens, like, you feel like a god. Um, <laughs> but, like, it's it's just not going to happen. A legendary creature god. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. I just, I, I, I think it's really good. I, I just, I'm very high on that card. I think it's incredible. But uh, I think, like, you know. I agree. In other formats, like, people need to be exploring with this card. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, in CDH, I'm glad to see people are exploring with it. I'm skeptical, but you know, I, I'm ready to be pleasantly surprised. This, I mean, when you talk about other formats, I think Alex Kessler talked about this on Twitter, is uh, this is going to see play in Jund in Modern in real real quick. Because, I mean, you thought that cascading off of a, uh, what's it called? Into uh, a Liliana. <laughs> into a Liliana was good. <laughs> Wait till you get to cascade into effectively a Karn. Like, it's... It, it feels a lot it, like a Karn. Yeah, it's not quite. It, it does feel. But it, it kind of feels um, like it. Yeah, I, I, this is certainly going to be very good in modern, um, but I, I, I do think it's good in in commander personally. I, I really do. Um, but moving on, enough of me shilling that card. Uh, moving on to our last of the multicolor cards is Cole the Forge Master. It's a red and a white two two, legendary dwarf warrior. That whenever another non-token creature you control dies, if it was enchanted or equipped. Return it to its owner's hand. Creature tokens you control that are enchanted or equipped get plus one, plus one. So, uh, Cobblepot, you know, I gave Pongo, or I gave you a couple extra there earlier, uh, but I'm going to give this one to Pongo specifically because you and I have had to play against this a lot uh, because Sick Robot has built a deck with this that is pretty damn good, if you ask me. Uh, so, Pongo, really, what is this card doing, and is it good enough for CDH? Yeah, I've played against this deck uh, a, a fair amount, too. <laughs> Don't leave me out of yeah. that. Um, no, that's why I said. I, oh, said you I, I thought I heard it. you say Cobblepot did. Um, yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. And I, you and I. I was wondering about that. but I, I yeah, That's why I was giving you the question. I got it. Um, so, yeah, so what does this card have going for it? Well, I mean... Uh, Boros <laughs> obviously is a color identity is uh, it's very limited right so um, you don't really have access to good tutors you don't have access to good card advantage engines you know you're missing a lot of important tools um, such that Boros commanders I think need to do something very particular to be successful or something utterly broken so Winota does something I say that is like pretty broken I think she is as a single card you know, one of the most powerful cards that, like, people play in CEDH as as a card. Um, like, the amount of advantage that she generates is kind of unreal. Um, so, I think that, you know, she can, like, buoy 
Boros's flaws sort of single-handedly such that that deck is fine. Um, it's not an incredible deck because it's still limited by the color identity, but she alone is powerful enough to like make it an option. Uh, what does Cole bring to the table? Well, Cole also addresses a problem in Boros, which is access to win conditions. Um, so Boros obviously doesn't have like all any or much in the way of tutoring. But uh, one thing that it is capable of tutoring pretty well, actually, is equipment. Uh, you know, white gives you a lot of effects that let you tutor equipment. Um, and, you know, red can tutor artifacts to the graveyard, for example. Uh, and, you know, it can tutor goblins. Uh, and goblin engineer, for example, can also tutor artifacts into the graveyard. Um, so it, it has lines that let you address that inherent flaw in, in the color identity. And Cole, it just so happens, combos with equipment. Um, you know, he combos with Mortar Pod and Dockside Extortionist, which is great. You know, <laughs> like Dockside Extortionist, mm -hmm. totally accessible in Boros, you know, as we talked about before. Right. Um, the equipment, totally accessible in Boros, as I just mentioned. Uh, and also comboing with Skull Clamp is awesome, right? Because you can find your Skull Clamp, um, you know, with the myriad of white tutors that do so. Uh, and then, you know, you've got Cole, who's a two drop, which is very efficient. You can get him down quickly. Um, you can find your skull clamp, and your skull clamp is a pretty powerful value engine to find that last piece that you might need, um, which is something that's going to let you equip skull clamp for free. Um, and then once you've done that, you're essentially just, you can draw your whole deck and you <laughs> off can, to the races. Yeah, you're off to the races. Um, so Cole does, I, I guess his strength is that he does a Boros thing in a way that can be broken using cards that Boros has access to. And the, mm -hmm. and the rate is acceptable for CEDH. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, and I'll, I'll make sure to uh, put a link in the description of uh, Sick Robot's uh, Clamp Storm list. It's, it's a really cool deck, and I... I I do encourage people to check it out because I, I really have enjoyed getting to play against it. Um, On to uh, the last couple of cards here are the artifacts on the list. And uh, this one here is Pyre of Heroes, which is a two drop. It is two colorless to activate and you sacrifice a creature. You tap it and sacrifice a creature. And uh, it's effectively birthing pod. Um, so you search your library for a creature card that shares a creature type with the sacrificed creature and has converted mana cost equal to one plus that creature's CMC. And then you put that card onto the battlefield and shuffle the library and uh, you can only activate it anytime you get a sorcery. So it's birthing pod plus it has to share a creature type. Uh, so it's a little bit more restrictive plus you also can't abuse the Phyrexian mana cost with it. Uh, so it's, it's you know, this is Cobblepot as we look at this card. This is kind of, we've seen wizards really trying to um, make a fixed version of Birthing Pod over the last couple of years, right? And uh, I don't know if this is it or not, but, you know, what is your opinion on this card for CDH? 
I mean, if the word for fixed you're looking for is worse, then yes, that's what this is. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it, it, it costs less on its face. It costs two to bring down, but you, to activate it, you have to pay two. You can't pay one and, and pay the, the Phyrexian like you can with Pod. So um, that's that's a difference. It's It's not significant, but I mean, really the most significant hamstring here is the fact that your your the creature that you tutor up needs to share a creature type with the creature that you sacrificed and one of the the things about birthing pod that makes it so powerful is its flexibility mm-hmm. and being able to kind of emergently assess the circumstances that you have at the table and then go and get the right thing that addresses your problems and in this particular case this is 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 going to be less um, adept at doing that. I'll say um, the the thing that this has going for it is that it doesn't require you to have green, so you can put this into non-green decks and be able to, for the first time, have you know in Inala or, or you know whatever you know in you know lists that are non-green that have a strong affinity with a particular creature type to you know, effectively have a, 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 a pod effect in those places, but it's, it's still going to be constrained because of that creature type uh, limitation. So, I mean, you, you look at the high value creatures that we have in the metagame right now, and those are going to be things like Dockside Extortionist. They're going to be things like Thassa's Oracle, um, those things are going to require us to have one drops that share a creature type with them. So normally, you know, if you've got pod, you, you know, you pod a dork into Thassa's Oracle and you're good to go or, or into, you know, Dockside and, and you're happy. Uh, having a, you know, the, the, for those to work, you would need to have either just, you know, normal one CMC goblins or one CMC, um, uh, you know, merfolk or whatever, or wizards, and uh, that making those types of accommodations is just lowering the the card quality of what you're accepting in your deck. And I mean, in 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 some cases, you could just look at what what you have in your command zone. So, like Timna is a human. So, okay, well, Notion Thief is a human. So, you you know, there's that. But are, are, are you going to run this in a, in a Timna deck just to turn Timna into Notion Thief? I don't know if that's enough value for you to, to, to warrant the inclusion. Um, I'm not sold on this card. I, I think there are some people who you know, are, are excited about some of the things you can do with it, but I just don't see it. Yeah. Um, looking on to the last card on our list is the last artifact in the last card is Weathered Runestone. Uh, It's a two uh, colorless to play it, and it says non-land permanent cards in graveyards and libraries can't enter the battlefield. Players, or non-land permanents, excuse me. Players can't cast spells from graveyards or libraries. Uh, so Pongo, as we look at this last card, uh, this is very reminiscent of Graft Digger's Cage. Um, so, you know, what is your evaluation on this card? And, you know, do you think this is CDH playable? Um, 
so let me answer your second question first. I, I definitely think this is CEDH playable because Grafticker's mm-hmm. Cage is already CEDH playable. Um, and a second copy of Grafticker's Cage, you know, while it does cost one extra mana, is still going to be reasonable for the decks that can actually play it. Um, now, the interesting thing about this card, um, which is, you know, both a, an upside and a downside, is that it expands graft diggers from just creatures to um, all non-land permanents. Um, so within CEDH, you know, most of the time, you know, things that cheat permanents onto the battlefield cheat creatures into play. So I would say that, you know, on surface rate, this is not going to be as good as graft diggers. It doesn't give as much of an upside over graft diggers that you're going to play um, this before you play Graft Digger's Cage. But if you're playing Graft Digger's Cage happily and you want a second Graft Digger's Cage, this is fine. But, you know, one big issue with this is that card or decks that have historically played Graft Digger's Cage, um, you know, like let's take um, Godo as an example, can't easily run this because extending the ability to permanence or to non land permanence makes it a non bow mm-hmm. in that deck, right? Um, right, if right. you're playing this card, chances are you're not playing creature like two battlefield creature tutors because you're trying to avoid that non-bow. Um, but you know probably you're going to be trying to tutor some other type of permanent onto the battlefield at some point, um, non-land permanent. Um, and so there's going to be some tension here with you know a good number of decks. Um, but but again, I, I just think that. It's such like a niche upgrade over Graft Digger's Cage. Um, you know, not enough people are playing things like like um, Academy Rector or or Zur mm-hmm. these days. Um, that you know, you're you're gonna want Savine's Reclamation. Like Savine's Reclamation does see a good amount of play, um, and and that you know, it's cool that this hits that, but players can't cast spells from graveyards or libraries anyway so like who cares right like people are savine's reclamationing um underworld breaches into play but like graft digger's cages second line of text already hit like prevents that from being a major issue so like Mm kind of who cares (laughs) so like yeah it it just kind of like it it, it's not uh it's not applicable enough to enough circumstances at the moment um to warrant paying the extra mana or potentially taking on a non-bow in your deck. Right. I feel like this card was a missed opportunity. Yeah. I feel they could have dropped the word non-land from this card and still printed it. Yeah, that would have been pretty absurd. Just shutting down all fetch lands and all like uh, ramp cards that tutor lands into play. That would have been very strong. Right. Right. And I think that like, but it. I think you could print that. So yeah, you because you can you compare it to at three mana you got Blood Moon, which shuts down all non non basic lands, so fetches and rainbow lands or whatever. In this case, this would shut down fetches, but rainbow lands would still operate as usual. So I feel like you can probably print that at two, and still make it work. And I I feel like that card. Uh, oh man, just playing that card in you know monocolored or in some certain two color decks i mean that would have been 
a missed opportunity. Yeah, I'm yeah. just worried that it, awesome. it might be too strong for other formats, unfortunately. Like in modern, that could be super obnoxious, potentially shutting down all fetch lands. You know, in legacy, like obviously people always have the option of like kind of turboing out turn one blood moon, like as you mentioned, and that already shuts down fetch lands. But like, that's such a powerful format with force of wills already anyway, like more force Mm -hmm. of wills that like, it, it seems a little bit fairer. Whereas like in modern, not everybody's playing blue and like blue decks, like, yeah, blue decks can play force of negations, but like, it's just force of negation is so much less good than force of will that it just feels bad in a lot of matchups to have force of negation and to be playing a bunch of them. So I don't know. I, I feel like at two mana, that effect might be too warping in other formats. And while it would be fine in CEDH, most likely like, you know, very powerful uh, and, and hard for a lot of decks to play. It's just, they, they couldn't, they couldn't print it like that. They'll have to save it for a, a commander precon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this um this is actually probably in Golos uh in Golos prison probably just gonna go in over Graph Digger's Cage, honestly. Um, really? I I would want to play both. Like I might play both. The problem is is I don't know what to what I would put this in over. Like the, the first thing that comes to mind is Graph Digger's Cage if I was gonna take something out. But we um, yeah, as we discussed, it's not enough of an upside to Graph Digger's Cage, I think, that you'd want to pay right. one extra mana. Um, I would but agree. like Graph Digger's Cage is an underplayed card right now. It's a very right. powerful card, um, and it should see more play. But the problem is that it has tension with, you know, so many people's game plans. You know, even if you're right. not playing Underworld Breach, you're probably playing Neoform and Eldritch Evolution, and that's a non-bow, right. right? So like, it's hard. As long as as long as everybody is on Dockside or on Thassa's Oracle. Graph Digger's Cage is going to be really hard to play in those decks yeah. because people are going to be motivated to playing the cards that are going to, you know, be you know your battlefield tutors or reanimation spells or whatever to find, you know, convenient ways to get those those cards onto the battlefield. Well, my immediate thought is with Golos Prison, like the the big i mean maybe it goes in over sorcerer spyglass but you kind of need that card which is kind of awkward um you know maybe it's better than ensnaring bridge i don't know i i've had ensnaring bridge be incredibly impactful in that deck um but i think that like you know the it has the graft diggers graft diggers cage side that uh the 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 second half that you want it to have of you can't cast spells from graveyards or library. Um, and I think the first half of it is a little bit better um, because of the non-land permanent cards uh, can't enter the battlefield from there. So it's effectively an upgrade, right? Because you're it, it has the same second ability, which is shutting down the underworld breach lines that you kind of want to get you know, attack um, while also being less narrow on the front half maybe we do play both sides i don't know i just can't figure out what i would cut for it to play two of those effects so i don't know I'll, i i still have to 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 put that video together for that deck tech i i i really fell in love with this deck so i'm excited <laughs> um uh but yeah so 
that about wraps things up for us here today. Um, just a quick reminder that you can follow us on Twitter at Sculpty Boys, or you can find a direct link in our link tree down in the description below. Uh, just want to remind you that, uh, well, I also want to give special thanks to all of our patrons who help keep the lights on. If you too would like to become a patron, you can head on over to the Patreon, uh, at patreon.com slash the mind sculptors, or you can check out the link in the description below. Um, and one thing to remind you is if you did like this video, make sure to like, comment and subscribe, get that interaction up for us. Um, and it uh, helps a you know, lot. It, it, really, it does. really does. Um, but, you know, share it with your friends, your, you know, anybody, you know, who really enjoys uh, the format and those sorts of things. So it, it really we appreciate it. And we we appreciate the support and uh, all of the, uh, you know, everybody who's listening and been helping. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. Um, and thanks. Thanks again for joining us. You know, um, we we all really enjoy it. And thank you to Cobblepot and Pongo for for uh, being here and doing it with me. And uh, I'm glad that we I'm, I'm glad that we have this team together. So um, I, I think we make a really good we have a real good crew lined up. Right. Yeah, I would do it with you anytime. Oh. <laughs> Glad oh. to be here as usual. Well, thank you again for joining us, and from all of us here at the Mind Sculptors, I'm Callahan. See you next time.